Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Three and a half minutes after 12. Mark Watson with you this afternoon here on Afternoons with Staffy. Mark Stafford will be following me at four o'clock. We've got Manaya alongside of me. We've also got Finn James. Manaya, what on earth is this music, big fella? We clearly haven't worked together before. What is the music? What Look, is the music, my good man? D- don't blame me for this. This is this is Staff's music. We can throw the uh, playbook out the window, though, and then go with some new music if well, you want. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, what is this? This is Vampires. I believe the song is called Jukes. Yeah, nah. Wouldn't be my first pick. No, wouldn't be mine. Wouldn't be mine either. But hey, 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 it's all subjective, here isn't we it? Are. Uh, telephone number is 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. So 0800 150 811. Text us here on uh, 8833. The lines are open. But no, I just want to get your thoughts quickly. Mm-hmm. The Australians pointing the finger at the <laughs> Indians in regards to ball tampering. That's rich, isn't it? It is, and it's quite ironic, and it's quite laughable, it and is. it couldn't happen to a nicer team. Oh, couldn't it? I mean, it's just the way they, uh, you know, they they play both sides of this one. When it's them, they want everyone to go easy because these people have suffered enough, haven't they? And then when it's their opponents, they're all up in arms. It's uh, I tell you what, it's great as a, a Kiwi fan to be able to watch this whole thing play out. Well, you go back to, though, to South Africa with Sandpaper Gate. That wasn't the first time they did it. That was just the first time they got caught. And they'd been doing it for a long time. You go back. I mean, when you think of the Australian cricket team, you don't think of sportsmanship. You don't think of particularly nice people. You just think of there's just a rogue element in Australian cricket. I mean, you know, legally correct but morally corrupt. And that's always been part of the Australian cricket brand. Winners, but they don't always win with a lot of grace, do they? Isn't the underarm uh, incident just, you know, we we sort of think of that as a one-off incident. It's not. It's indicative. It's symptomatic of the way uh, Australian... Uh, sportsmen behave, isn't it? What What I want to know, for people who haven't seen the story this morning, uh, Indian spinner Jadeja, uh, mm. there's a clip you can see that he wipes uh, some sort of substance off the back of someone else's hand and then is then seen rubbing it into the ball and it's on his spinning finger. Yeah, and they've come out now and said that this in fact was just an ointment putting on his spinning finger simply because... His fingers were sore. His fingers um, had been suffering from some sort of uh, damage and there was simply nothing else to it, which, again, I think is laughable. Mm. I I mean, if you're asking me honestly and openly, it's just my opinion. Of course, of course they were ball tampering the Indians. Of course they were. But it doesn't resonate with a lot of people when it's the Australians pointing the finger at India. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger issue here was the way that the Indians had pretty much doctored the pitch to try and negate all the left-handers the Australians had in their batting lineup, There was a lot at stake here in terms of being one of those top two teams to end up playing in that Test World Championship set to go in June. What well, did if, you... Yeah. Sorry, if you had to guess, what do you think uh, was the substance that 
that he had on there. I mean, I don't, we're not buying the deep heat excuse, are we? It certainly wasn't. Well, in baseball, they use things like tar, don't they? And just anything that's going to... Well, I'd imagine as a spinner, you're wanting something that's clearly going to grip. Grip, yeah. So something that's going to allow you to grip it, but something that's possibly going to grab the pitch as well. Um, and I'd imagine it's very different for a spinner than what you'd put on for a fast bowler, which is more about movement. Therefore, you just want something that's going to be slippery and shiny. Look, my experiences of having been to India, and I was there in the Commonwealth Games, is that this is a country where corruption is just rife. It's a part of everyday life. I think the th- on three occasions at the Commonwealth Games, I think I was ripped off. And I went in there, not naive, I went in there with my eyes wide open, only still to realise that I'd still been ripped off. Now, that's just part of it over there. Uh, the thing what India have got, a little bit like the IOC, a little bit like FIFA is, they pretty much own the game financially, don't they? You do not want to upset the Indians. Every country wants to stay on the right side of the Indians. That's where most of the money in the game is generated from. So it'll be interesting to see what action is taken, whether this is swept under the carpet, whether in fact there is an investigation, and whether or not the allegations made by the Australian media and those on social media, if there is in fact any merit to those accusations. 800 150 Love to get your thoughts if you have seen this. What do you make of it? Any sympathy for the Australians? The, um, as you mentioned, the Quick uh, uh, Info is owned by an Indian company, I believe. Uh, if you scroll through, there is no mention of this incident at all on Quick Info, which you would mm. presume to be uh, cricket's number one source of information. Uh, but the story that they do have on the India versus Australia test is the underappreciated genius of Ravindra Jadeja. Of course, the underappreciated genius. <laughs> Genius. Yeah, look, if it if it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, looks like a duck, it's a duck. And you've only got to watch the imagery here. If you want ointment on your fingers, you get a team doctor out and you put the ointment on your fingers. Uh, look, I see, I even look at Indian cricket, and, and this is what irks me a little bit, even the IPL, to me... That whole thing just reeks of money laundering. That whole thing has just been set up because people are making a hell of a lot more money out of what they're actually investing in it. But again, very hard to prove, very hard to go behind the scenes. The ICC don't want to know anything about it. Players are happy to turn a blind eye to it because any time money is involved, it's funny how we're happy to turn a blind eye there's no virtue signalling and all of our sort of morals suddenly just get pushed to one side. You know, it's a little bit like what we've seen at the moment with FIFA and Saudi Arabia tourism wanting to come in and sponsor a women's race where a lot of a women's World Cup um, in a country where women don't have a lot of rights, in a country where if you are openly gay, you're basically jailed. And let's be honest, there are a lot of women in football who are openly gay. And so there is absolutely no synergy here between Saudi Arabia tourism and what's in the best interest of the tournament. But it's amazing how FIFA has suddenly remained pretty quiet. New Zealand football, yeah, they've signed a letter of concern alongside of Australian football. But no one's really coming out and taking a stance on it. Why? Because it's about the money. I find it funny in that situation that our government comes out and sort of says to New Zealand football, oh, look here, we, we really encourage you to yeah, not accept the sponsorship. Meanwhile, on the other hand, we're more than happy to export, th- export things to Saudi Arabia, aren't we? In fact, 
Saudi Arabia, our 24th biggest export partner. And so there's always a lot of hypocrisy, but the moment money gets involved, it's funny how, yeah, we tend to sort of find some way to justify the moral corruption. Can I ask you something? Uh, I don't, this isn't necessarily a personal question, but I know you're big into your uh, your running. You're a bit of a, an, an endurance athlete yourself. Have you ever taken part in the Coast to Coast? That's kicking off uh, pretty much as we speak. No, I haven't. No, I haven't done the Coast to Coast. I've done Ironman many times, Hawaii Ironman, and Ironman's in Brazil and Japan and various countries. But no, I haven't done the Coast to Coast. And um, But one guy who has, and we're going to get him on after 1 o'clock, is Gordon Walker. Now, Gordon Walker has been, I think, three or four-time... Coach of the Year at the Halberg Awards because he coaches Lisa Carrington, but a lot of people might not know that Gordon's actually won the Coast to Coast on three occasions. So we're going to get Gordy on. Used to do a lot of training with Gordon back in the day. So we're going to get Gordon on after 10 past one just to sort of find out what the athletes will be feeling today that are doing the longest day tomorrow. The two-day event has already started, and that tends to be an opportunity maybe for athletes to just experience the event with the long-term plan of doing the longest day. And so we'll have a chat to Gordon Walker on that. Uh, we'll also another big weekend too. New Zealand Road Cycling Nationals up for grabs. New Zealand Cycling in a great place. George Bennett looking to try and win his second national road title. Rushley Buchanan, who has won four New Zealand Women's Road Cycling Championships, will try and preview that for us. Uh, we are going to go to Dan Cherney from Code Sports in Australia to get his thoughts on this ball tampering. Is there anything in it? It'll be interesting to get an Australian perspective on it. Gerard Waitley, one of the great Australian broadcasters, he's actually going to be calling Super Bowl here on SEN, SENZ. And so Gerard Waitley, he is over in Phoenix, Arizona. We will catch up with him. Keen to find out um, the challenges of calling American football when it's not something you do regularly and the way it stops start nature. What he needs to do in terms of adjusting his commentary style to cater for that stop-start nature. Very different than, say, calling AFL or calling Rugby League. We'll also catch up with one of New Zealand's leading middle-distance runners on the women's side, Laura Nagel. We have the... We have... Uh, sorry, we, we have the Porrick Classic in Hamilton uh, tomorrow, part of Athletics New Zealand's Summer of Events. So plenty of live sport to look forward to. But really, what we want now is we want you guys to phone the programme and have your say. If you've seen the coverage, do you think India were ball-tampering? Do you have any sympathy for the Australians? I don't have any sympathy for the Australians, but I have sympathy for the integrity of the game. So it needs to be looked at. It needs to be investigated. But it's a little bit laughable that it's the Australians that are making a big deal out of this with their rich history of uh, being, let's say, morally corrupt. 800 150 is the number. Oh, look, just the other thing too, before we do take a break, I know that there's been a lot of discussion this week in and around Scott Robertson. Now, Scott Robertson's press conference the other day, he sounded very much like, I've got this job, this all-black job. It's just a simple case of putting pen to paper. New Zealand Rugby have come out and sort of said, we know nothing about it. We haven't said that. Media journalists have pretty much written the same thing that, Scott Robertson is the guy and they are going to make an announcement. What is it with New Zealand rugby? Why are they so rudderless at the moment? Why is it that they lack such leadership? I mean, this has been going on for almost a year. It must be an incredibly tough time for Ian Foster. I mean, the reality is they should have got rid of him a year ago. Or not a year ago, six months ago, and they didn't. 
I don't think we're going to get out of the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And Ian Foster will be much maligned. And they're going to need to make sure they've got people around him. Because at the end of the day, he's a human and he's actually a good guy. Not a great coach, but a good guy. But should not Mark Roberts and the CEO also fall on a sword? And should the board not be more accountable here? And I do want to look at those members on the board of New Zealand Rugby off of the back of the break. Because I want to know what the hell they're doing. Why is it that there doesn't seem, there always seems to be so much indecision? No one seems to be able to make a decision. You know, these boards are full of these people that are experts in their field that come from these big business backgrounds. But are they too scared to put their reputations on the line? Or does this woke environment these days mean that you can't be decisive and you have to consult everybody? You have to do the PowerPoint presentation. The game is in trouble. People are pointing the finger at Ian Foster but it's a much broader, it's a much bigger issue. As I say, a fish rots from the head down. What changes would you like to see? 0800 150 you can text us here on 8833. We are taking your calls. Twenty-one and a half minutes after twelve. Telephone numbers: oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. You can text us on the Temper Bed Post text machine. Watto, do the two-day competitors get in the way of the one-day competitors on the coast to coast? Not generally. The way they tend to seed it. Um, by the time the top athletes have come off the kayak, uh, most of the two-day competitors are well and truly finished. I fully agree, Watto, with New Zealand Rugby Union. An embarrassment to the New Zealand public and the aura of the All Black legacy. And then someone saying, Scott never mentioned New Zealand rugby in the interview on TV1. No, he didn't. But the journalist asking the question was referencing New Zealand rugby, which he then answered too. Clearly wants the Fiji job leading up to the World Cup, and I think he's looking for dispensation there. And let's give it to him. We give the players the so-called sabbaticals. Why not give Scott Robertson an opportunity to do a bit of work with Fiji, help the Fijians, if anything, and then have him kick off in his new role as All Black coach in 2024. Uh, Brian, good ev- uh, Good afternoon. Welcome. How are you, Otto? Yeah, good, Look, thanks. Look, you know, I'm beating a dead horse, I know, but to me, it's a simple... It's just the, they can't make decisions, this crowd. If they were in government, they'd be thrown out. They'd call a snap election. The tidal wave of public opinion is against them. Pay the poor guy out... Elect the guy that's going to give us a chance. England and Wales bit the bullet. Right wrongly, played the coaches out and got on with it in World Cup year. Mm. Why can't we show some bloody leadership, man? Yeah, well, look, I was just talking to Manaya, um, and we were just saying, look, you'd rather get knocked out of the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Rugby World Cup, at least having tried to change it up, at least trying to do things differently under... Scott Robertson, and I think you could be a bit more forgiving of New Zealand rugby than rather losing under Ian Foster due to indecisiveness when his track record suggested that 
you know, change needed to be made. But look, I just want to highlight this. If you go onto the New Zealand Rugby website, you go onto our board, and this is what it says. Our board yes. is charged with setting strategy, direction and policy for New Zealand rugby and is ultimately responsible for the decisions and actions of New Zealand rugby management and staff. Now, you run through it. So you've got the right Honourable Dame Patsy Reddy, right? You've got Bailey Mackey. You go down, Dame Farah Palmer. You've got Ajit uh, Balazingham. Bart Campbell, then you've got Rowena Davenport, Mark Hutton, Wayne Young. You go through all of this stuff and you read their backgrounds and some have got a rugby background, but they've all got these, been on boards of the Dunedin City Council, have been all these big corporates. The problem is yeah. none of them actually want to damage their own reputation. They want to be on the board. They want the prestige. They want the honour. They probably want their head in the trough to a degree, but they don't actually want to be the one that makes the tough decision because they don't want their reputation damaged. I would rather just have straight shooters in there who understand the essence of the game. I'm not. I don't care whether the board is 50% women, 50% men. Uh, whether we've got the right racial equity on the board. I'm not into box ticking. I'm not into virtue signalling. I just want the best damn people. And what this should actually be: the mission statement for New Zealand rugby is we are custodians of our game. It is all about the fan. And start remembering the fan. Yeah, I think you know when you've got the involved. Uh, Silver Lake, etc. The corporate influence becomes so great, and the the the, this un, the underlying dollar for all these people involved is so large, they become paralysed, and they just can't make a decision. But everything you echoes my thoughts. Oh, I know, but you're not actually allowed to say that, Graham, these days. And I wonder if that's part of the problem because you've got this, what I describe as a left-leaning media who are just looking to pick people apart because they're not woke and they're not ticking all the boxes and then trying to make a storm out of a, a mole, you know, trying to make a mountain out of a molehill or a storm in a teacup. And the media are very, very good at doing it. And I think everybody is so terrified. Everybody is so terrified now. That is part of the reason why everyone's afraid of making Absolutely. a decision. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what I, history will, will vindicate what you said. I will guarantee that in years to come, People will look at this woke revolution and sanity and the loss that it caused and the loss of all common sense and say, how the hell did we ever get to that pass? Thank God it's it's with. Yeah, no, well said, Brian. Lovely to have you. Well said, lovely to have you on the program, Brian. Twenty-seven and a half minutes, twenty-six and a half minutes after twelve. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers: oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. Hi, Mikey. Oh, g'day, mate. Hey, um, NZRU, the problem is they're never wrong. And I think that's the issue. I mean, they say there's a sign of good leadership that if you make a mistake, you put your hand up and you say, OK, we got this wrong, let's reset and let's go again. And I really fear for Scott Robinson, to be honest. Um, I think this uh, media thing the other day hasn't helped him. Um, and the NZRU, when, they put their, when their backs are against the wall, they're going to look at that and go, oh, well, he's definitely not our guy. So... Everyone who rings the station and a lot of listeners think the NZRU got it wrong. You know, a couple of years ago, um, NZRU had an opportunity, two-year contract. They signed, they signed him up early, Fozzie. Um, and a lot of, they've left him hanging in the wind. They've left Scott Robinson hanging in the wind. And uh, I, I fear for his future.
I don't think he will be picked, and it worries me. Well, they need to because we've got to have a pathway for our coaches. And one of the big mistakes New Zealand rugby has made is we've placed so much emphasis on trying to keep our marquee players here because we're scared of losing experience that we've neglected our coaches. And the biggest threat to New Zealand rugby is all of our intellectual property heading offshore. And we've seen that. We've seen oh, that. We've absolutely. seen what Joe Schmidt did with Ireland. We've seen what um, uh, what's his name did with um, did with Scotland. Um, yeah. Kieran, Kieran Crowley? No, Kieran Crowley with the Italians, but we've got all of our top coaches oh, yeah. overseas imparting all of our knowledge. You know, there's even this ridiculous talk, Mikey, that beyond 2024, let's go out of our way to re-sign um, Bowden Barrett because he wants to have another sabbatical in Japan. He wants the door left open. Let him go. I don't need a million dollars spent on Bowden Barrett. He's passed his use by date. Spend the money on infrastructure. Spend the money on club rugby. But stop this fascination with the players. Hey, Mikey, love the yeah. passion. Thank you. Brilliant call. All right. 0800-150-811 is the number. Hi, Graham. Oh, hi, Matt Waddle. How are you? Hi, Matt. Lunchtime. It's great to hear you on, actually. Good, thank um, you. No, I just, I, just, just on the um, rugby union, I, the other night I said to you something about, oh, Dame Patsy really, you know, um, you know, I think she'll be, even though she's not a rugby person, she might be a great, um, you know, might do some good. But then I read in the paper this morning and on stuff, you know, she was part of the, she, the part of the, the 100%, um, you know, vote to, to put Foster back in last year, so I retract that statement automatically, because I mean, that's, that's you know, that 100% vote for that guy was 100% vote for failure. And, you know, you know, I agree with everything the last two callers have well, said and what you're saying. Well, right, let, you know, let, just let me read, so, Right Honourable Dame Patsy Reddy, Chair, uh, former Governor-General Dame Patsy has extensive experience in governance and consulting roles in both the private and public sector. See, that already sounds wishy-washy. Uh, she has served as a non-executive director of Telecom Corporation, Sky City, Air New Zealand, New Zealand Post and Payments Limited. Dame Patsy also served as chair of the New Zealand Film Commission, deputy chair of Waka Kotahi. Well, we know what a shambles that is, chair of the education <laughs> payroll system. What I don't see in here is time at a grassroots level in rugby. Um, how many test matches has she watched? How long she followed the game, what understanding does she have of the fan, the club rugby player and people like you, Graham? and I'd say zero, mate, zero. But hey, <laughs> it, it, it reads well on the PowerPoint presentation, looks good on the prospectus, it's nice to take it overseas, and again, it's a nice little box-ticking exercise. But I've got to say, mate, if the board is driving a lot of this and it's chaired by her, if we lose this World Cup, she should resign. She should resign. Oh, absolutely, and Robinson as well. You know, I cut him a lot of slack early on with the you know COVID and etc you know it was a bad time but yeah no I, I agree 100% and you know Razor you know we won't we all know what he's done at super level but he started at grassroots um, with Sumner you know and they, they were never anywhere they, they were never a, a senior rugby team until he, he was a play, play for them third grade when he was in the Crusaders yeah, but and then he coached Sumner when he came back from overseas I, and and you know he has been through and he knows how to connect with people and they they're going to listen to his every word and they're going to try and pull apart what someone says. But some people are looking for an excuse to um, to jump on him Well, anyway, I mean, it, I think there's still a big hangover and I still think the old boys network associated with Steve Chu, Steve Hanson, in my opinion, is still in existence. Um, oh, absolutely. And I'll say this, a lot of the issues that rugby's facing at the moment are actually put in place by the previous administration and this organisation is trying to clean the mess up and they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it. But everyone's only just looking at the coaching issue. 
Look at every other issue in rugby. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's yeah. a board that signs off our players being rested and rotated during Super Rugby when there's actually no when there is actually no template and no proof that that actually works. All you're doing is saying to fans, don't bother turning up because all you're watching every week is a development team. Hey, Graham, I've got to move on to news. As always, lovely to chat. Thank you. Right, John, the Velvet Voice is standing by with the latest in news and sport. Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Is that another Mark Stafford tune? I'm going to have to bring him in and pull him over for his music choices, actually. It's appalling. Anyway, 26 minutes away from one. Hi, Cliff. Cliff. Hello, Rugby Union. Yep. Yeah, good. Hey, the New Zealand Rugby Union, they are indecisive. They have made changes. Last year, they signed that big deal with that American firm, and they appointed Richie McCaw got involved. He was a big nominated fella that they brought in, and that was great. But I'm just wondering, what has he ever done? Is he Does he go and just handshake at occasional things? He was him and um, the, the chief executive, the previous chairman of the board, Mitchell, who suddenly decided he didn't want the job anymore to me. It, that seemed strange. He was, uh, he'd only been on the chairman of the job for the couple of years, and then suddenly he's, he's put forward to go on this, the, the, the joint board on the, uh, with McCaw and that, and then next minute he's, uh, he's not there. He's moved on and Patsy Reddy's arrived. So to me, they, they cleaned out the old guard. And it looks like they don't really want too many rugby heads involved in the rugby union. They want a, a broad spectrum of, of everybody and everything. And like I looked at the board one day and I went through and I thought, yeah, yeah, there's lots of people. But, they, you know, like you say, they're never going to say anything about anything. They, they just wanted to clip the ticket and say that, oh, I was on the board at New Zealand Rugby for five years. Yep. And yep. And, and, and the problem is when they all come from business backgrounds, it all just comes down to bottom line. You're basically run by a bunch of accountants, and that's the problem. It's and, and where's your and where's the big income pullable? It's the All Blacks. So let's just make it top heavy. I, I mean, you know, this whole Silver Lake deal. I agree. Look, so let's get Richie McCaw involved. Okay, he played 149 tests for the All Blacks, but what background does he have in finance? What background does he actually have in this area? And that is actually where I'd rather have some of these business people as involved in that side of it, making sure that, you know, we protect that, we leverage it, we invest it smartly, that we don't spend it too quickly. But, oh, no, well, let's get Richie McCaw involved. I mean, it'd be a little bit like, well, Richie McCaw was a great All Black, so surely he'd become, a you know, a great minister in government. And it's, it's a ridiculous mentality. Um, but, you know, well, it, again, it looks good on a PowerPoint presentation, doesn't it? I would have thought Richie McCall would have been better off coming on the board and possibly going ahead, maybe becoming the chairman one day down the track. But to me, they've just put him in there to sign up to say we've got him involved in this outside level, but but really not involved in any way. You know, he might go to the World Cup and he'll he'll shake hands with a few dignitaries and might make a wee speech, but that's about all that's really involved. But to me, yeah, I, I just... I just feel that there's a lot of people out there that could be running the rugby union or be involved, willing to stand up and say, this is what's going to happen. It's the same. I just cannot believe, though, like if I'm running rugby, the first thing I would be doing is going to Sky Television, your broadcast partner, and saying, stop broadcasting all schoolboy rugby. 
because all televising of schoolboy rugby has done is made secondary school rugby the stepping stone to higher honours. And if you got rid of it off television and started broadcasting senior club rugby, I think you'd bring some vibrance and some health back to that. That would then follow through into your MPC, and that would then follow through to your super rugby. You've got to protect the tier below the All Blacks, and we're not doing that. Then we've got the coaching issue, which you know we know was basically nepotism. And then even Mark Robertson's appointment, I would argue, in my opinion, was nepotism. And so the whole thing is just a shamble. Meanwhile, you've got sports like basketball that are just growing in their droves. Thousands of kids now playing basketball. Satellite television has brought a whole lot of different sports into our living room. We're achieving things at Olympic Games across so many sports now that are inspiring kids to move away from rugby. And here's New Zealand rugby still sitting there, still as arrogant as ever, still telling guys like myself that I'm the one that doesn't get it. Yeah. It's just about the the girls' game at the moment. The boys just gotta yeah. Well, good luck. Just gotta yeah. hang around and wait until yeah, well, something something happens in the future. Yeah. Well, good luck with that one because that's not financially going to pay for itself. That is one of those things that again by a group of predominantly women journalists have inflated the significance of it. Have inflated the growth of it, but women's rugby is still going to struggle to pay for itself. Let's have a look at Alpaki Super Rugby and how well it goes. I wonder how many of those journalists that were overinflating its economy last year are actually going to turn up to some of these games and watch it. But again, they have to be seen to do the right thing because once again, it's all about virtue signalling, all about box ticking in this woke environment. 21 minutes away from one, it's detrimental to the game. I don't care whether your entire board's women, I don't care whether your entire board are Chinese, Indian, are of Muslim or Christian faith. All I want is the best damn people who understand the essence of this product and understand their customer base running the damn game. 0800 150 811 is the number. Sixteen minutes away from one, let the wild rose do all the heavy lifting this Valentine's Day. Head to the SENZ win page to go into the draw to win one of four gift boxes for Valentine's Day. It's your last chance to win today, so head to the win page at sen.com.au. The Wild Rose Valentine's Day Rose and Flower Delivery. That's www.thewildrose.co.nz. Some really good texts that have come in, uh, which I will get to. Manaya, is there a love interest? Are we celebrating Valentine's Day? Yep. Uh, me and my partner, every year we go, we take uh, KFC down to the beach for oh, Valentine's you Day. hopeless romantic you. You <laughs> hopeless romantic you. We used to just sort of sit in the car, like overlooking a beach somewhere. I don't need just... to hear anymore. Just have, have some KFC. Just so. have some KFC. <laughs> eh? Just have some KFC. Yeah, I can imagine that's all you had just for some KFC. Anyway, we'll leave it at that, Valentine's Day. Um, as I tell my wife, every day's Valentine's Day. Uh, right. Some texts that have come in. Um, someone saying, hey, Watto, how's this? I heard from a source, and they've lifted the source, but I won't read it out because you don't do that, uh, that Scott Robertson was offered the Scotland job after the World Cup where I see Gregor Townsend has applied for the French role. He's not taking that, and that Robbie Deans has got him a head coaching job in Japan for big money, which again, he didn't say whether or not he's taken. I feel the Buller comment is just uh, just a... Anyway, doesn't quite make sense, the last sentence. But yeah, there's a lot of innuendo. See, this is the problem though, isn't it? Everyone's sitting here second-guessing now what Scott Robertson meant. 
you listen to his interview, as far as I'm concerned, he basically said, I've got the job, I just need to sign the contract. Is that what you took out of it, Manaya, without that's... trying to complicate it, without trying to read between the lines? 100%. I mean, that, that's it, isn't it? There's a simple honesty about Scott Robertson. And I, Do you think that part of that is him trying to actually uh, force the issue with them as well? You know, by coming out and saying to the media, I know that something's happening. Do you think he's trying to put a bit of pressure on them to rush it through? Well, I'm not sure that would be in his best interest, would it? We know how volatile New Zealand rugby are and how easy it is to get offside. You've only got to go back and have a look at Dave Rennie. You've only got to go back. And who was the Wellington's coach from a few years back that shot off overseas, won a Super Rugby title um, with the with the Hurricanes? Um, oh, I'll think of it in a moment, just having a mental block. And, yeah, anyway. I think the the... Back part of that comment as well about Razor was uh, the bullet comment was just to throw everyone off the scent. So I think mm. this person's saying that uh, he he greeted the media with Buller to try and, you know, mm. as a bit of a red herring. Chris Boyd is who I was thinking of for the Hurricanes. Chris Boyd, another one that we didn't really appreciate the whole Hanson era and pretty much because of that was, you'd almost say, was ostracised. Uh, another text, hey Wado, why isn't there a fan representative on the rugby board? Makes sense, so they could get a fan perspective. Well, you'd like to think that the board people actually are, are representative of the people. I'm surprised that the unions that put some of these elected board members up don't take a stronger stance and force them to deliver their message. But then I also hear that a lot of people that sit on the board within the unions are really keen to become part of the New Zealand rugby board and they don't want to upset, upset anybody either. Someone's saying, Watto, I feel sorry for your day. It started relaxed and now New Zealand rugby has just wound you up like a clock. Love your passion. That comes from Sean. Oh, they haven't really wound me up. They haven't really wound me up. They're not living rent-free inside my head, Sean, but I appreciate the text. Thank you. I want to address this one too, just as going completely on a different tangent, and we're going to talk about this after one o'clock with uh, three-time winner Gordon Walker. We're going to talk the coast to coast. But what someone's saying, what does training? Does more training go into the coast to coast or an Ironman? Uh, look, I mean, I think to complete either successfully, you've got to dedicate a lot of time to both. I think the coast to coast tends to be more of a South Island-based race. Very hard to replicate the river conditions up here in Auckland, up in the upper part of the North Island, and so it probably doesn't attract as many quality athletes to it, as perhaps Ironman does, um, but both require a huge amount of time and both incredibly selfish. And if you are thinking about doing the coast-to-coast, coast, you're thinking about doing an Ironman, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You know when you're overtraining when you meet more than three bastards in a day. And what that means is that you're always grumpy. You don't have a lot of tolerance for people, so you start abusing them because you're short-tempered. That is a sign you're overtraining. Anyway, the lines are still open. 0800 150 We have sort of had a bit of a chat about the board of New Zealand rugby. Uh, you know, all great CVs, but appear to be completely and utterly useless. Don't want to upset anybody. I mean, you, seriously, you go through it and it's just a box-sticking exercise. I, I hate to say it, but you've got, you know... A broad spectrum of ethnic representation. You've got a fairly even mix of men and women. 
And I think that's part of the problem. Is there too much emphasis placed on that now rather than just getting the right people in place? I'm all for equal opportunity, but I'm not a big believer in equal outcome. Nine and a half minutes away from one. 0800 We haven't had a lot of clear lines today, so there is some clear lines now if you do want to phone the program. I'll always say this, talk back is a better experience when you jump on the phone. Loveracing.nz, your home of thoroughbred racing. The Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you. Uh, coming up after one o'clock, we'll catch up with three times Spates Coast to Coast winner these days. It's the Katmandu Coast to Coast, Gordon Walker. Gordon's gone on and had a successful coaching career. Coaching, sorry, just having a look at the TV. Um, coaching Lisa Carrington to five Olympic Games gold medals. We'll find out what it takes to win that race. The longest day starts tomorrow. The two-day race is already underway. We'll also catch up with Rushley Buchanan, four-time New Zealand road cycling champion. New Zealand's road cycling nationals take place in Tokoroa. On Sunday, time trial is set to go this afternoon as well. We will also talk to Dan Cherney. Now, Dan is a journalist out of Code Sports in Australia. Get his thoughts on allegations of ball tampering from the Indians as they rip through Australia on day one of the first test. Australia all out for 177 top scorers. Marcus um, Lubbershane, 49, Steve Smith for 37, Alex Carey, 36, Peter Hanscom throwing in 31, but a pretty ugly-looking scorecard. In reply, India are 77 for one. Sharma is there on 56. Rahul is there on... Uh, in fact, Rahul was the batsman out on 20, and Ashwin has just come to the crease. But the big talking point has been Ravindra Jadija, 22 overs, eight maidens, five for 47. I mean, the ball was turning. Uh, interesting that ESP and Crick Info have nothing on this. Uh, Manaya was saying earlier that ESP and Crick Over is actually owned by Indians. Uh, so any real surprise there? I've said it myself, having travelled to India a few times, it is a country that is built on corruption. That's just the way society runs. It's almost the more corrupt you are, the more respected you are. Um, it, I always look at the Indian Premier League and I just look at that and think, nah, this is just money laundering. There is just nothing legitimate about it. Just an update on Crick Info. They do now have a story on there. The story reads, Indian team says Jadeja used pain relief cream on finger. Of course he did. And has he ever used it previously? I've never seen it. No. What an absolute load. What a a coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence. (laughs) Absolutely. So why didn't the doctor come on? Why didn't he administer it? Show us what the cream is. Have it there on the spot and be a little bit more transparent with it. It's got to be something that grips the surface. It's not Spinning's not about having a shiny ball. It's something more about gripping. I mean, the spinners come on after the shines come off the new ball. What are they using? Why are they doing it? And it's not like the player that was applying it had it in a tube. He had it on his hands himself. So what? You're administering pain relief ointment through a handshake? Really? And, and how does the back of that bloke's hand feel as well? He's just carted this pain relief cream all around the field on the back of his hand. If it is pain relief cream, 
that's if you've got uh, anybody who's used uh, deep heat has known the pain of accidentally putting it in the wrong spot. You're telling me this bloke's getting around with it on the back of his hand? Yeah, rubbing your eyes. Seems suspicious, doesn't it? Oh, it does. But the irony in all of this, and maybe why people don't have any sympathy, is it's Australia. And isn't that ironic? But why it needs to be investigated, why it needs to be looked at, is actually for the integrity of the game as a whole. Yes, let's laugh at the Australians because it is hypocritical of them. And we can say who cares. It's called karma, you get what you deserve. But for the greater good of the game, and just to make sure we keep India and Indian cricket in check, who basically pay for the game, we still need to make sure they are held to account. Three and a half minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Willie, we saw you phone through. Try and phone back through to the programme now, Big Guy. The lines are open, 0800 150 I do like this text that's come in just regarding this ball tampering issue, whether it be cream for medicinal reasons or not. Hi team, regardless of what it is, surely it's illegal, similar to not being allowed to wear strapping tape or band-aids on your bowling hand. The reality is, and he's right, whether this is just an ointment for sore fingers, he still then is clearly rubbing the ball with it which is therefore putting something on the surface of the ball, which is illegal in the game of cricket. Uh, Mark, Aussies crying over India, ball tampering. How sad, who cares? Ask Warner and Smith what they think. Cheers, Brian. Let's go to the phones. Hi, Richie. Hey, mate, how are you? Good, thank you. Hey, um, so yeah, on the ball tampering, I think uh, yeah, like if you're caught during the play, yeah, you're, you've got to come off the field. Um, now, if the third umpire or third official sees it and questions it, questions like they do in our baseball, you know they have to go and have a look at what's on the pitcher's hands um, and gloves. You know why can't we do that in, in Test cricket? But also on Test cricket is the New Zealand and England Test series not part of the um, big big Test championship? I is think there no it, points available for that. No, I think points are available for it. As I know, I had a feeling all Test series um, home and away. Uh, in that window are part of the overall mix. I mean, at the moment, it's, I think, Australia top of the table, India a second, aren't they? And there's six teams that still potentially have a chance of making the World Test final, Other and New Zealand's not one of them, though. Yeah, look, because I've, I've got this app called Tribe, and um, I don't know if you know about it, but you can download all your favourite sports teams or tests and, mm. and series, and it gives you updates. And I'll just have a look at that, and um, it, it's not coming up in that, so um, under the Test Championship. Oh, look, we'll, we'll check it out for you. I, I just assumed it was, so I can't give you a definitive answer because you seem to, so, you know, there might be some evidence to suggest that it's not, but my understanding is it is. Um, it's always a home, yeah. home and away over that period. And and part of the reason is that, that these games actually have a little bit more meaning and there's a little bit more jeopardy. Yeah, and that's more, that was my thought, is that it was part of it. And, um, you know, but if, if it's not, then do, you know, do we risk it and, and try and bring in, some of these, this younger talent, you know, should have we looked at it back then and brought in some younger talent and and risked our hand and let, let these guys play play a bit riskier in the test. Well, yeah, I, I think the problem is we've had so little test cricket here already that they probably want to put a good show on. They probably want to create a bit of sense of nationalism. I mean, with baseball, with Brendan McCullum, with the way England are playing, there is a real opportunity to beat England here and make a statement. And I think this series, because of the hype around Stokes, the hype around McCullum, the way they've changed the game, I think this is one series where if New Zealand can beat England at home, I think it'll resonate 
a lot more than perhaps previous series involving England here in New Zealand. Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, no, I just yeah, I just thought it was interesting that it doesn't look like it is part of the, the Test Championship. That's, but yeah, um, that's why I thought I'd give you a bell and and see if you've got any more info. Well, we'll, we'll find that out for you, Richie. But thank you. Appreciate your call out of the Kapiti Coast. Just on what Richie's point was, though, that look, you know, if this is an ointment, you go to the, you go, you surely go to the umpires. A doctor comes on the field and the, he says to the umpires, "Hey, we've got to address this guy's fingers." You see a cloth come out afterwards, you know, and it's, it's, you watch this, and there is no formality in the addressing of the sore fingers. The ointment's not coming from a tube. It's coming from another player's hands. It's a handshake. It's not like he's sitting there and applying it and then carefully applying it on his fingers, is he? And if that was the case, you would have seen it before. Like, that would be something that happens quite regularly, wouldn't it? It's not something I've seen before. Um, Just someone coming out with a random substance on the back of their hand. Well, it's like people who fail drug tests and say that the particular drug they found in the system, their body manufacturers naturally, and the drug I'm talking about is a drug called EPO, which is a blood booster. And you're like, okay, so if I was to test you right here, right now, you'd fail again? Yeah. And you go, and what about in 10 years' time when you're out of the sport and I just randomly come and test you? You're going to fail again? Yeah, I think not. I think not. Anyway, it is eight minutes after one. You're listening to SENZ. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk the Kathmandu coast to coast because the two-day is underway and the longest day starts tomorrow. What does it take to win it? What will those athletes be feeling today? Well, one man who will know all about it is a three-time winner. His name is Gordon Walker. He's up next. A little bit better, a little bit of Van Halen to kick this next three quarters of an hour off. It is 13 and a half minutes after one. The Kathmandu Coast to Coast, the two-day event is underway. Tomorrow it is the longest day. There'll be a lot of nervous bodies in the South Island. One man who understands that and has won this race three times joins me on the programme. A lot of people will be familiar with the name because in more recent times he's established himself as a world-class coach coaching Lisa Carrington. In fact, he has won the Halberg Award Coach of the Year on four occasions. His name is Gordon Walker. Afternoon to you, Gordy. Welcome. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, how nervous are those athletes feeling right now? Uh, Yeah, pretty nervous. Pretty nervous and Probably, uh, there's a lot to do on the day before, actually, with the coast-to-coast. You're really, really busy organising your support crew and your logistics, and there's just so much gear and stuff that you need to get ready. So, uh, you know, not only are you nervous, but you're also probably a little bit rushed, which doesn't help things. Um, But, yeah, no doubt they'll be pretty nervous and not necessarily into the best night's sleep tonight. Mm. Um, Gordon, it's, it's an event that involves running, mountain biking, kayaking, road cycling. Is there a particular leg that you've got to master, that you've got to do well and that will ultimately set your race up? Um, yeah, I mean, to, to, in order to do really well in the race, you, you've got to be good at all three, particularly nowadays, maybe, uh, or maybe a longer time ago, the, the cycling wasn't such, so, so well executed. But now you, you need to be, you know, good time trialers, very good now, very good on the mountain run, and very good in the paddle. So, uh, not not too dissimilar to a lot of other sports where someone might say, "Oh, what's you know, what's the key to success? Is it the swim, the bike, or the run?" It's like, well, you know, it's pretty much all three. Mm-hmm. So, um, for sure, you'll have areas where you may be a little bit stronger, but you, you really can't afford to have uh, like to not be good at the mountain run and, and be very good at the paddle and, and bike. 
it's, mm. uh, it's definitely a, an event which um, you know which you need to be good at all three and, and probably above all else you need to have you know extremely good endurance because it you know, they don't call it the longest day for nothing. Yeah, good. I was going to ask you that. So in regards to the way you set this race up, I mean the sheer volume, the sheer distances. When it comes to goat pass and the run versus the kayak, you've got to respect the distances, but you've also got to race your opponents. How do you get that balance right? between racing the favourites and ultimately trying to beat them, but at the same time making sure that you are not burning too many matches too early and that you're actually showing the course respect? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a very, very fine balance between, I guess, uh, not so much racing your opponents, but making sure you understand that, you know, the context of the race and what might be happening and and if people start working together, is that going to undo your situation? Uh, so there's that fine balance between knowing what your competitors are doing and then at the same time, it really is just yourself against nature, it's just yourself against the land and um, getting from one side. You know, when you look at the map, well, you can look at the South Island on the map now and you, you sort of see how, you know, you see, look at one side of the, the island and you look at the other and you've got to go that whole way yourself in one day it's a pretty daunting task so just managing yourself um, through the whole day is probably more important than how you do it against your competitors but um, for sure just knowing what other people are doing is helpful because it may just help you just make little minor adjustments as you go through the day. And I'd imagine the other discipline is the nutrition side of it, a lot of self-catering and it's not an exact science, everybody's slightly different in terms of what works for them so uh, in terms of mastering that, how much time and effort goes into it and what are some of the key strategies? Like a lot of time and effort goes into that but it should be something that you pretty much, you just rehearse day after day in training Like for sure there'll be some slight differences in what you might do nutrition in the race but a lot of the smelling that you might do in training for general training is actually not too dissimilar to the race. So um, hopefully you've got that mastered through your own training. Um, but you know, like a real fundamental is you just need to take on you just need to take on a lot of calories and practicing taking on those calories is is really really important. And um, you know, there's a little bit of a difference with a longer race. There's a finer balance between carbohydrates, then also maybe taking on other the sources of calories of fat and protein rather than just say in a shorter race it might just be all carbohydrates so a little bit of a finer balance and then also with the, the fact that it's such a long day you'll also be taking on quite a lot of solid food and, and then breaking down your solid food into a little bit of you know variety because you can very easily get sick of and it might be uh, one square meal bars and gels don't last you the whole day mm. You know, the key to any race is show your body in training what happens on race day. So if you're going to run off-road, learn to run off-road. If you're going to go down a swiftly moving river, learn to kayak down a swiftly moving river and through rapids. But if you're coming from Auckland doing this event, it's very hard sometimes to replicate the geography of the South Island. And, you know, financially, it's not easy just to constantly making trips down to the South Island. So if you're an Auckland-based athlete, which you were, how, how do you replicate the coast-to-coast in training? Well, yeah, I guess it took me a long time to figure out that there's actually some really amazing training locations up here in Auckland. I mean, I knew a few of them, like the Whitex and, and those sorts of things, but uh, there are actually some amazing places to train for the coast-to-coast here, like, um, you know, over on Rantaro Island is an absolutely awesome place to practice um, the type of running that's very similar to the mountain run. And then 
the North Shore beaches running from um, Takapuna North and, and just practicing going you know, over the rocks and then you can actually go through the rivers as well. So, you know, fantastic training there for the coast to coast. And then on a Suzuki out in the harbour is once again really, really challenging in, in a different way to the river, but it's also, it's also very challenging um, in the same way on a stabilising muscle. So there's, there's lots of things you can do, um, but at the same time, even for people that are in the South Island, there's nothing that replicates the feeling that you have of what it's like to get to halfway in the coast to coast, like to have r- bike the bike and run the mountain run at race pace in the race with your fellow competitors. You, you know, as, as fit as you are, you you don't realise how unfit you are until you get to the, the Klondike Corn and you think, oh my God, I've got to do the whole paddle and I'm, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I feel like I'm 9 out of 10 done now. Mm. So, yeah, you can... You can replicate it, but to be honest, the, the feeling of getting, you know, getting even just halfway at race pace is, is pretty demanding and it's, it's very hard to do that in training. Mm. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I say of the Ironman and triathlon that the swim, the bike, and maybe the first part of the run are very much from the shoulders down and then you get to a certain threshold and it's all about the shoulders up. It's all about the top two inches. Is, is there mm. a threshold in coast to coast where that maybe applies? I mean, depending on on what level you're at, um, that'll happen at different stages. So I guess the more experienced competitors, they'll, they'll know the race much better. So they'll be able to get through the run without, um, they'll, be able to, they'll be able to get through the run like knowing knowing the run and knowing where they are in the run and, and all that sort of stuff and, and pretty successfully and then they'll start the paddle and they'll feel okay at the start of the paddle. Um, and this is for like a, someone who's done it maybe three, four, five times. And so it's and probably the gorge. There's a there's a um, a section on the in the they call it the Waimea Gorge. The whole thing, but there's a, there is a gorge section in the middle of the river, and that's that's a time where it gets pretty lonely. And and as I said, no matter how much training you've done, it's 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 very very hard at that point. And um and and not long after that, the headwind often arises from always an easterly. So. Somewhere around then, it's, it's very demanding mentally. Um, but if you're a, a newer competitor, and that might even happen halfway through the mountain run, and then you're you know you've got a long way to go, and it's quite hard to mm. to break that down mentally and to feel like you're actually going to get yourself to the finish line. So, I think it really depends on who you are in terms of your own experience and fitness as to when that point happens. But yeah, there's no doubt it's going to happen for sure for everybody. Gordon, when you were getting yourself well and truly immersed and entrenched in the coast-to-coast and multi-sport, you had sort of Steve Gurney, the great Steve Gurney, coming towards the end of his career, but you had athletes like George Christensen and Richard Usher. You had your breakthrough victory in 2007. How many attempts did it take before you sort of really started to understand and think, right, this is what I need to do to actually win this race and have that breakthrough performance? Uh, Well, I... I did the like the first time I came seventh, and um, I was 40, 30, 39 minutes or something behind Gurney. And I, I thought after then, I thought, man, I think if I if I trained hard and I do things pretty well, I, I feel like this is a winnable thing. Um, but there's a long way to go from that to actually doing it. Um, a couple of years later, I came second, um, but it probably wasn't until the year that I won, which was my fifth time, fifth attempt, um, that I kind of just maybe in the last month or two that I, I more kind of realised that 
it was just um, like a, a battle of yourself against mm. nature and to enjoy the course, to enjoy the process. You know, it's the classic, all the classic things to do with sports psychology about just surrendering to the outcome and actually really enjoying being, you know, being in the environment and having a battle and having a race, not wanting it to just go your own way and hopefully win. Mm. Um, so probably reshaping and um, like changing, not not so much changing my mind, but just re, re, re-evaluating how you might look at the same task and probably at that time that I... I think I was physically able-ish before, but I was a little bit more able when I did win, but more mentally able. Mm. Gordy, I remember us spending time together in southern France and training, and I think at that point, uh, maybe the triathletes couldn't understand um, coming off that first three-kilometre run. The bike, historically, in the coast-to-coast always seemed a little bit pedestrian for that first 70-odd kilometres. You came along and you changed the game. You were the first athlete that really said, hey, I am going to make this a bike race as much as going to make it a running race. Um, how deliberate was that tactically? 100%, yeah. Like, I think the year, like I said, I came second in my third attempt, and then second in my fourth attempt, and and probably the fourth one was, the, was, the, was a bit of a stuff up in the sense that um, I just didn't, didn't, didn't um, race hard enough, to be honest. Um, and so then I, after that year, it was only, it was within a month of the race. I just sort of sitting down with a mate and I was like, and, and I think my wife actually said to me, she said, you've never been passed in the race. You've only ever passed people. So I was like, oh, well, I just got to get to the lead. I've got to get to the lead of the race as soon as possible. Um, it was a pretty simple strategy. And I thought cycling is something I'm better at than the others at the moment. Um, mm. so I'm going to, I'm just going to make it basically a, just a simple plan. I'm going to make it a longer and harder race and see how that goes for me and and catch people by surprise yeah. and, and it works. And yeah. then the likes of Dougal Allen and Braden Curry have come along and probably taken it another level again, but really was a game changer the way you did approach that race in 2007. Uh, Gordy, look, just uh, finally too, just a text that's coming. How do you... And everybody goes through the highs and lows in a long day. Uh, how did you deal with those low points, whether it be through energy, whether it be through just mental fatigue? Uh, what are some strategies that people can do? I think the first one is just accepting that they're going to happen. And you, um, like I think when you when you train really hard, and this is a mistake that I made possibly, like in the very first year that I did it, and then in the year that I said that I seen on my hand second was, I just thought I was going to be so fit and so strong that that was never going to happen. Um, so when it did happen, I was like, oh, that means I haven't, I'm not good enough or I'm not fit enough or I'm not strong enough. But the reality is, no matter, you know, because obviously I won a race and I know that even when I did win, there was, there was some dark times, you know, and they're pretty dark times. Like, you, you know, you definitely, well, personally, I did, I was questioning, what the hell am I actually even doing here? You know, there's much easier things to do with my life than this. Um, so I think it's just accepting that those things happen, no matter how good or, or not good you are. And then, so first of all, because otherwise if you don't accept it when it does happen, you, you sort of wrestle with it for too long. Um, and so first one I think is just to go, oh, well, that's happening. Yep, uh, oh, that didn't, you know, that took four hours to happen instead of maybe it might normally happen in three hours. So I'm doing good. And then the next thing I think is to really, um, there's a good concept that I use, which is just called thought catching where um, I would 
you know, I'd find when I was going through a bit of a dark time, I'd think very negatively. So it was around to, um, stopping the negative thoughts pretty quickly. And then I would check my nutrition. I go, have, have I eaten enough? I'm like, man, I actually know I missed that gel. And then sometimes it might have just been that I was just a bit, um, yeah, maybe low on low on uh, sugar. So it would be check my nutrition. And then I'd just focus on um, what might be the next landmark that I can get and then stick to my technique. And then, and then I would move out of that phase mentally and then I'd suddenly be in a totally new phase. So... Accept it, and then and then and then just break it down to something not 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 false positives, but processes, and then and then I could get a, get along with it. But yeah, absolutely. I, I there was some um, yeah dark times, even just on the start line. Often you might be thinking, "This is madness. Far mm. out. What am I doing here?" Mm. Yeah. Hey, Gordon. Look, just yeah. before you do let you go, so all of these experiences you had an athlete, all those the highs, the lows, learning how to lose before you learn how to win. Um, how beneficial, when you look back now, have were they in regards to you achieving what you've achieved as a coach uh, in the sport of kayaking with Lisa Carrington? I mean, for me, they were really helpful because um, you know, it's like what you in the endurance sport. There's a lot of time out there on your own, and you're you're educating and teaching yourself unconsciously a lot of the time. Um, and the adventure racing and the endurance racing. It's bloody hard, and you really, you know, you have to be very resilient. You have to be able to think for yourself. Um, and so a lot of it was, because it was self-taught, in order to teach yourself, you've got to make a shitload of mistakes to actually figure out what's good. So I think it, it really helped me um, to understand, you know, myself and then understand others, and that often we're all fighting the same battles. Um, but by having a lot of those experiences, both positive and negative, have been really, really helpful. Even just the one around just being very grateful for, like the, the guys today, they'll be very nervous. They'll be thinking, why am I doing this? But I guess for them, the best thing they can do is just to be very grateful that they're actually at the start line where there'll be a time in their life where they can't actually be there. So just to take a moment to be like that, I think for that, that's a big learning that I had um, that can help ease you just in the last day or so. Gordon Walker, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day and joining us here on SCNZ. Pleasure, mate. Yeah, thanks so much. There you go, three times Spates Coast to Coast winner these days. It is the Katmandu Coast to Coast and, of course, four-time New Zealand Halberg Coach of the Year, the man who has been instrumental in the success of Lisa Carrington, Gordon Walker. It is 29 and a half minutes away from two. Let's catch up with the latest in sports, news and weather. Now, bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today and play in hundreds of sports markets to choose from. Visit tab.co.nz and reminder, please gamble responsibly. Brendan Popable from the TAB joins us. Brendan, good afternoon. Welcome. Hey, Watto. How you doing for your Friday afternoon? Yeah, very good. Look, as we head sort of into a Friday night into the weekend, where are people sort of dabbling? Where are people putting their money? What are the sporting events that are exciting people? I'll touch on the rugby league first because uh, we got a little taste of it last night, of course, with the uh, the pre-season. And we are taking betting on these pre-season matches for the very first time. And I'll jump straight to the Warriors game because already we've seen a bit of action around the Warriors in that top eight market because they're 
5.25 to run in the top eight in the NRL season. And after one game, one trial game, uh, there's been some interest in the Warriors uh, at that top eight line of 5.25. And of course, they're $46 to win the NRL in 2023. Uh, there was a few bets circling around the Warriors in last night's match, but uh, overall it was actually a pretty tidy result because there was a fair bit of money coming for the Tigers in that match last night. Just around the NRL preseason game, the one that's taking some interest with punters is the St. Helens match. Uh, we St. Helens are $1.90 against the Dragons at $1.83. Uh, without a doubt, the, the St. Helens team are the best-played team in that one. At $1.90, we've seen some very good action uh, around that market. Uh, the Cronulla Sharks uh, at $2.35 in their match. Uh, the Cronulla Sharks, they take on they take on the Newcastle Knights. Uh, the Knights are favourites at $1.55. The Cronulla Sharks, two thirty five. dollars Got a $400 bet on the Cronulla Sharks. And some money, too, for the Penrith Panthers. They play against the uh, Parramatta Eels. Panthers, 168. Parramatta Eels, 210. But, yeah, always some trepidation, Watto, when we get to pre-season matches and also when we, we can now take some betting on uh, these matches leading up to the first round in, what, three weeks? OK, Brendan, just quickly, much interest in, in Super Bowl Monday? Heaps, yep. Uh, we've taken some more money on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, 197. We've been really well supported in the last couple of days. A couple of $500 bets, $800 bet. Overall, about 70% of the market is around the Philadelphia Eagles at $1.77. But we are starting to see some big bets coming in for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kelsey touchdown, one or more. And the Chiefs to win, 375 That price has been boosted. We've seen some good action around that price. Brendan, have a great weekend. Thank you. Appreciate your time on the program. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. It is 24 and a half minutes away from 2 o'clock. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking the New Zealand Road Cycling Nationals. Let's go to the beach, eat, let's go get a wave. They say what they gonna say. Have a drink, clink, found a Bud Light. Bad bitch like me, it's hard to come by. The Patron, oh, let's go get it down. The sound, oh, yes, I'm in the zone. Is it two, three, leave a good tip. I'ma blow all of my money and don't get poop. I'm on the floor, it is 19 minutes away from 2 o'clock. One of the big races on the New Zealand road cycling calendar takes place on Sunday. Team time trial starts today, two days apart. The winners of these get to wear their national colours amongst their trade teams overseas, in Europe, or wherever they are racing professionally. Four-time winner of the women's race, Rushley Buchanan, joins us on the programme to preview this weekend's event. Rushley, good afternoon. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, just put in context of people out there the importance of this road race for both our elite men and women. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it might not be the most watched um, event on the New Zealand sporting calendar, but it's definitely got um, a lot going for it. It mean the winner of this race gets to wear their New Zealand jersey the whole year, um, and that might not seem like a, a lot, but you're actually extremely proud to wear that jersey. Um, you tend to get more TV time with that jersey. Um, it helps you boost your career. Um, and sometimes you even get to start at the front of the peloton, which in races with 200 people is a huge benefit. So, yeah, there's a lot that comes with this jersey. Um, and, you know, we all, we all love New Zealand pride and New Zealand winners um, winning on the international stage. So if you're doing that in a New Zealand jersey, then 
yeah, you you definitely want want to win this weekend. Yeah, and now uh, you you've won it on four occasions. What is the key to winning this race? I mean, is it about the, being the best bike rider, or is it about being the smartest bike rider? Both at different times. Um, yeah, so I've won it four times, um, and on different circuits in different cities. So. Yeah, you have to be, you definitely have to be the smartest, I would say. Um, you don't have to be the strongest rider all day. Like, there's no point sitting on the front of the bunch and just, just you know, showing your dominance and then not being smart about it. Um, it's going to be hot out there. Um, well, hopefully, <laughs> depending on the cyclone. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a long day for a lot of these people. There's lots of climbing each lap. Um, it's in, you know, it's in the... You know, it's in the wop wops. The roads are going to be really hard. Um, they're not going to be uh, easy flowing, so you're going to have to put more power down. So, yeah, it's going to be about the person who can conserve their energy and use it the, the, use it the smartest. Um, you obviously have to be extremely strong to win this race. Um, but, yeah, you know, you can, you can win with a smart attack early and then people will um, underestimate you or you're going to have to play your cards right to the finish line. Yeah, on the women's side, perhaps it's not as tactical. You don't quite tend to have maybe the numbers in the peloton that you get with the men's race and you perhaps don't maybe to the same degree have the team dynamics. So is it about taking your chance on the women's race? Is it as strategic as the men's? Yeah, it's it's different. Um, you're right. There are there aren't that many entries in the in the woman. Um, that's just. It's a it's, but it yeah. is a quality field though. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, I, like I mean, the the top riders are all going to look at che- look at each other. So that's where the tactics come in. Um, they're going to have to think about how they can beat their other competitor because there's nowhere really to hide in a small bunch. So you have to play your cards and you have to use them wisely. Um, like I said, it's not just going to be, you can't just sit on the front of the bunch and ride away. Um, so yeah, like, like Georgia probably, yeah, she actually has done that before, but she's, she's taken other riders with her, but, um, you know, there's not too many wheels to sit on. So no doubt Ellie and Henrietta are going to be right there next to her. So they're all going to have to think about how they can win, um, and race and make shape the race to suit them. But, you know, not everybody can do that. So it's it's going to be a day of, you know, constantly changing tactics mm. and thinking, OK, what do I need to do now? Does Georgia Williams go in as the pre-race favourite? And where are the challenges likely to come from? Because there's also a good group of um, under-23 athletes, the likes of Ali Wollaston, Henrietta Christie. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, Georgia's had a phenomenal start to the year. Um, doing really well in, in Australia in the Tour Down Under. So, you know, she's showing that she's on form. Georgia, like, really loves the New Zealand Nationals, um, and she always comes here and turns up. Like, she knows that it's hard. Um, so she's going to be here um, fully pre- prepared. Uh, but then we've got, yeah, Ellie Wollaston and Henrietta Christie, who are both on really good pro teams. Um, the three of them all are individual riders. None of them have teammates. So... Yeah, they're just going to be looking at each other. But, you know, we've seen Ellie today go faster than Georgia in the time trial. So clearly she's on form. And then Henrietta also did really well in the Tour Down Under, winning the um, Young Riders jersey. So it's going to be a good match, yeah. And they can all they can all climb. Um, I would put my money probably on Ellie if it came down to a sprint finish. But, you know, Georgia just, just sprinted really well in Australia as well. So, yeah.
when the race gets underway, we've talked about there not being maybe the team and the and the support riders to help out the leading rider. But are there deals done uh, when you do get into the break? Are, are there deals done? What what are the, what's the discussion going on if you are in a breakaway with riders from other teams or solo riders? Yeah, it's an interesting um, race, New Zealand Nationals, because you have people like those three girls that we just talked about on pro teams. Um, they want to win their jersey because they want to take it back to their pro team. Um, but then you've got other riders wanting to to like step up to the mark and, and get their name out there, like some of the younger girls or um, yeah, riders that haven't just quite made it onto the international scene yet. So everybody's out there to win. Like Nobody's out there to get second or third. Uh, but if you're in a breakaway of two or three or four, you're definitely trying to figure out maybe who your ally is um, and who your uh, nemesis is, you know, like who's probably going to attack on the hills um, and then maybe you don't work with them because you're not so so good on the hills. Or, um, yeah, I mean, as well, the senior riders generally all want to help the younger riders succeed. So I know that if they go up the road with a, uh, lesser known name, say like an Ella Wiley, um, they want to help Ella have a really good race. So they will be helping her to a certain extent, but you know, when it comes down to the last 10K, it's everybody for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's just focus a little bit now on the men's race. It features George Bennett. It also features the great Aaron Gate, who made himself a household name here last year. But it is a very different race. There are a lot more trade teams, particularly Bolton Equities, Black Spoke, who just have sheer volume and sheer number of um, teammates in this race. Mm-hmm. How does someone like George Bennett negate that on the weekend? He is under his international trade team, UAE Team Emirates. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm sure he's asking himself that. He's asked himself every year, right? Um, and we're still here. Um, but it's 180k this year um, with over 2,000 metres of climbing, so that's got to suit George to some degree. Um, the climbs aren't really steep, though, which he probably would prefer. And then, yeah, you've got, you've got to watch out for a numerous black spoke and, and some other really good riders on pro teams as well. So, um, you know, George is no... Um, he's, he's done this before... He knows he has to put himself in the right place. He knows no one else is really going to help him um, succeed. Like, he's got to take those opportunities and make those choices and decide, you know, which black spoke do I follow. So, you know, he's probably going to be close to Aaron Gate, um, the leaders of the black spoke team. But, yeah, ultimately, black spoke have a lot of cards to play. Um, and, and George Bennett um, just has to pick one to follow and then hope that it pays off. But, you know, he's a strong rider. He can go up the road himself as well. He can bridge gaps. Um, yeah. It's fascinating because you look at James Fouché, um, having won the race last year. You've got Aaron Gate, as we mentioned, and you've got James Orham just having come off winning the Tour of New Zealand. So I guess they've got to determine who their team leaders are and are they prepared to make the change depending on whether how the race plays out, particularly early on. Yeah, like Black Spoke are going to send riders up the road all day, or at least they should, right? Um, if they've got so many cards to play and then make others do the work. Um, and then once someone's up the road, you have to figure out if they're going to win out of whatever group they're in or if they've gone solo and can they hang on. Um, you know, hopefully this year goes longer than last year. <laughs> hopefully we get a whole race out of them and like the uh, day of attrition is is going to hurt you if you go early. So, 
yeah, you know, I, I don't know if Gady's going to be the first one to attack, but um, he'll probably play his cards a bit later. So there'll be a lot of people on the bunch trying to pick which black spoke attack to go with. Are they going to try and go for the early break or are they going to save the energy and try and go for the winning move maybe later? Um, I imagine the bunch is going to blow up with, with climbing every single lap. So, yeah, it is going to be a bit of attrition. Um, but, yeah, constantly putting yourself in the right place, on the right wheels, making sure you're taking in your energy so you have the energy for, you know, the 175th kilometre when you need to wind out your sprint. Um, yeah, it's a it's an all-day exercise. It's, it's not just a few hours. Rushley Buchanan, we thank you for your time this afternoon on ECNZ. No worries. Nine minutes away from two, New Zealand Elite Road Cycling Nationals, Tokoroa. Time trial underway at the moment. The men's and women's road race set to go Sunday. Uh, a course that was put together at the last minute after I think the original host, Nelson, pulled out of it. Uh, one of the most fascinating, intriguing things in sport is bike racing, particularly if you've got a team that is stacked. Send a rider up the road. You've got to chase it. You chase it, you bring it back. Next team, they hit you again with another rider up the road. And it's all about fatigue. It's all about tactics. It's not always the best rider that wins. Often it's the rider that supported the best, it's got the best team, or it's the smartest bike rider. There'll be a whole lot of environmental factors that they'll need to factor in, and they'll get a pretty good idea of where the crosswinds are, the headwinds are after the first lap. I think there's seven laps for the men. Then you've got to start strategizing that. You've got to be on your game. You've got to get your nutrition right. It is absolutely brutal. One of the great spectacles, one of the great things to commentate, one of the great things to be associated with. If you do, if you are in that Tokoro region or you're a mad keen cyclist, do get yourself down. Watch some of the very best cyclists in this country, some of the very best riders in the world when you do look at the likes of George Bennett. It is coming up to seven and a half minutes away from two o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Yeah, not, 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 not convinced on the music there, Finn James. Not convinced, not convinced. Um, anyway, um, it's all subjective, isn't it? Let's not sort of impose my music tastes on everybody out there in radio land. Uh, look, we've got Laura Nagel, women's 1500 metre New Zealand champion on the programme. Coming up after two, the Pots, uh, sorry, the Porrit Classic in Hamilton is taking place tomorrow. Uh, the big names of New Zealand track and field in action. Uh, Manaya, just uh, quickly, we might chat about this a little bit later. Boy, there's been a lot going on in the NBA, mate. Kevin oh, no. Durant's gone, uh, left Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, we saw Kyrie Irving leave Brooklyn. Um, what 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 are we in last year? Uh, James or well, James Harden was yes. traded. So so the only one left from all of that, including the coach Steve Nash as well, is Ben Simmons, who is at, actually out there playing right now. The Nets are playing the Bulls um, at the moment. Uh, at home, the Nets, uh, which is why we were unable to get one of their uh, beat writers, uh, Chris Mulholland, who we've had on the station before. He was keen to come on, but unfortunately had to go and cover the yeah, the actual game. It, yeah, where is Ben Simmons at? Because he came into the league with a bit of a hiss and a roar, but then he's sort of gone into a little bit of a hiatus. Well, he didn't play for like two years um, for various reasons. The reasons are still a little bit up in the air. Um, he said he had a back injury. Some people say he just essentially dropped lip and didn't want to play. The last time they saw him before that hiatus, he was giving up a, a wide open layup called Dunk. I mean, he's six foot ten. Hasn't really regathered the form that saw him uh, warrant a trade for James Harden. But uh, I don't know. Who knows? If, if he's going to regather that form, this will be how he does it. The team has been entirely cleared out. Mm, yeah, I wonder how much pressure GM Sean Marks is under. 
everything right to get these guys. Brilliant oh. piece of negotiation, but it's come apart. They're back to square one. He can hold his head high. He did his part of the job. He got those players on the team. You know, that they couldn't gel. I don't think anyone could gel with Kyrie Irving. I don't. And I don't think anyone will, too. No. And I think that sometimes be careful what you wish for. I just wonder whether they've inherited the Cristiano Ronaldo scenario at Manchester United. And we know how Manchester United are better off now that he's gone. Coming up to two o'clock, we'll talk some athletics. We'll talk some cricket between two and three next here on ECNZ. After two, just struggling to get hold of Laura Nagel at the moment. We're going to talk some track and field. We'll keep trying. We will try and get her to air sometime between now and four o'clock. Mark Watson with you. Telephone numbers 0800 150 That's 0800 150 We will catch up with Dan Churney, two before three o'clock. He's from Code Sports in Australia. He is going to give us his thoughts on this ball tampering controversy that is starting to encapsulate day one of the first test between India and Australia. Isn't it ironic? The Australians accusing the Indians of ball tampering. But in fairness, I think the Australian I think the Indians are ball tampering. They've argued that the liquid substance being applied to the hand of the Indian spinner at the centre of the controversy is simply a cream to help alleviate some damage to the skin. So it's basically almost like an antiseptic cream. Um, But surely if that's the case, you would have the doctor come out and administer it. You'd have a little bit more um, input from the umpires, and I think you would be a little bit more transparent in the way the cream is being applied. Now, the spinner is Ravindra Jadija. He shakes the hand of a fellow teammate, and then he is seen rubbing his fingers and and what looks like a substance onto the ball. How often do you apply a midi cream through a handshake? And so if you're asking my opinion, it's just my opinion, the absolutely the Indians are up to no good here. Now, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the Australians. As far as I'm concerned, shove it up them. I mean, it's just 
karma. But I do have... I do have concerns for the integrity of the game as a whole. Now, there's always been a thought and a feeling that Indian cricket is above the law. In fact, they run the game because of their billion people population. There is huge revenue that comes into the game through the television deals done through India. And no one wants to upset the Indians because they don't want the cash cow to stop feeding them. So let's hope there is a proper investigation into this and that there is an integrity unit looking into it. If you've watched the footage, what did you make of it? 0800 150 811 is the number. 0800 150 811 is the number if you do want to phone the programme. Any sympathy for the Australians? And what should the ICC do in regards to an investigation and does anybody believe the explanation the Indians are giving for what has clearly been caught on film 0800 temper bedpost text machine double eight double three uh, the other issue that we just talked about after 12 o'clock and I just want to relitigate and that is Again, the lack of leadership that appears at the top of New Zealand rugby. We've seen Scott Robertson come out in a press conference the other day, basically implying that he will be the next all-black coach. And that it's just a matter of time, he just needs to put pen to paper. New Zealand rugby have come out and denied this, and the saga continues to go on and on and on. Not in a good way. And so should the board be held accountable? Should the CEO be held accountable, Mark Robertson? Does there need to be an overhaul at the top of New Zealand rugby? Because the All Blacks failings are all being centred and put on Ian Foster as the All Black coach. He should have been replaced last year. But the fact that New Zealand rugby don't seem to or appear to have the ability to be transparent says to me that it's all about self-interest. They're all protecting themselves and there is a complete lack of leadership. I just want to read what the job of the board is. This is on the New Zealand rugby website. Our board is charged with setting strategy, direction and policy for New Zealand rugby and is ultimately responsible for the decisions and actions of the New Zealand rugby management and staff. As I said, a fish rots from the head down. Rugby's in a terrible state. There's a perception that it's rudderless. Should we make change at the top, not just with our coach, Ian Foster? 0800-150-811. It is 10 minutes after two. We're going to take a break. We will talk some athletics very shortly on the program here with Laura Nagel.
15 and a half minutes after two. We'll talk some athletics in a moment. The Pirate Classic takes place in Hamilton tomorrow. Logan, Laura Nagel, current New Zealand women's 3,000 metre champion, current New Zealand women's 1,500 metre champion, will join us. But before we do do that, let's go to the lines. Joey, good afternoon. Welcome. Yeah, good day, Mark. About the cricket, I, I fear for the integrity of the game. You know, um, the Aussies got caught, well, we know that, and, and they'll be spewing because they've, they've been caught and they've been banned. And fair enough, that's how it is. If the Indians weren't doing anything uh, untoward, um, you'd come out before you even started the test and say, hey, look, if it was you, Mark, say, hey, Mark's got a problem with his hand. Um, he's he's got to put some cream on it, and, and then he's one of our bowlers. You'd come out and say that. For them not to come out and say that, and I haven't seen the footage, but uh, from what you're saying, it looks as though they are, without, without a doubt. So where does it stop? Does all of a sudden it happen in a test match with England and New Zealand later on next week or, or Pakistan? You know, I mean, it's, it's more about the integrity of the, the game, not so much about because it's Australia. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, as I said, I haven't seen it, but it sounds as though from all what you're, you're saying, that they are cheating. Well, if they are, they should be banned. Well, and as for the other thing, quickly, with, um, with Mark Robinson, you know, you, you go into a job like that to make make the job better or the, the team or the, the structure better. You don't go in there to, to uh, look after yourself as a sense or, or you know, don't, you need to make decisions. And, and that's what he, he hasn't been doing. He's been... When you look at it quickly, when you when you look at it, Mark, at the end of the day, if you turn around and said two years' time, was Mark Robinson a good CEO for New Zealand rugby? I would say no, not at the moment, not at all. And and the board, the, the board is exactly the same. As far as I'm concerned, the board aren't doing a good job either. And you go into those situations to make the game or or the business better, not to hide stuff or, or not to come out and, and make not make decisions. That's what you're there for. That's what you're paid for. Well, look, if you go through the board here, there's some high-powered people. You've got your chair, the Right Honourable Dame Patsy Reddy. You've got Bailey Mackey, Dame Farah Palmer. You go through it. Ajit um, Balazingham, um, I think must be of Indian descent. Bart Campbell. You've got Rowena Davenport. You've got Mark Hutton, uh, Wayne Young. And so, look, you know, they've got a nice mix. They seem to have a nice balance between men and women. Um, they seem to have representation with the ethnicity. But I think, actually, ironically, that's part of the problem. I wonder how much of this is about being seen to be doing the right thing versus necessarily having the right people. Now, I don't care whether your entire board's all women. I don't care whether your entire board's all Muslim, all Indian, all European, whatever. I just want the best people in place. But the problem is when you read their CVs, you just sense none of them really want to be responsible for any controversy. They want to be on the board, but they don't want to damage their own reputations. And I think through that, you get a lot of indecision. Uh, Look, just going back to the cricket tampering thing, uh, look, the other player involved was Mohammed um, Siraj. Now, he basically shakes the hand of Ravinda Jadija. That is not how you apply ointment to sore fingers. And then clearly you can see him rubbing that ointment on the ball. Now, I could say, well, look, I need sunscreen because my nose is burning, and then take that sunscreen and rub it on the ball. We know that's a no-no. And so whether it's legitimate or not, People are missing the point. You're not actually allowed to rub foreign su- uh, foreign substances on a cricket ball. Yeah, so they're cheating. That's, they are cheating, then, Mark. Absolutely. At the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and so well, they should be they should be accountable for it. And the same the same as the board and and Mark Robinson should be accountable for all this this hoo ha we have with 
with uh, Robertson, you know. I'll tell you what, tell you right now, um, the Auckland Blues coach, he will he will be going from the Blues to be part of Mark, uh, uh, part of Razor Robertson's coaching job for oh, New Zealand, oh, which will be a good thing. Yeah. But, but he will be going from the booth. I'm telling you that now. Yeah, no, don't, d- don't disagree. Hey, lovely to have you on the programme and thank you for phoning. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Joey. Right, let's move away from doom and gloom. Let's celebrate the sport of track and field. Another big meet taking place in Hamilton tomorrow. It is the Porrit Classic, of course. Arthur Porrit. Arthur Porrit won a bronze medal in the 100 metres back in 1924. He is played in the film Chariots of Fire. They actually changed his name. Believe it or not, his last name in the film is Watson. There you go. Anyway, one of our leading distance runners now joins us on the programme. Last week she won the 3,000 metres in Wellington. She is the current New Zealand women's 1,500 metre champion. Her name is Laura Nagel. Laura, good afternoon. Welcome. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, you're gonna, you've got a tough race tomorrow. You're stepping from the 3,000 metres down to the 1,500 metres, a race that you were unbeaten in last season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it should be a pretty good battle, I uh, suspect. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be easy, is it? Because this has some highly respected and highly reputable runners in this field. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm definitely not expecting it to be easy, and I'm actually glad about that. Um, last year um, was kind of a surprise season for me, but I didn't have too many people trying to, I guess, battle away. <laughs> um, so I think it'll be really awesome race to hopefully it comes down to like a photo finish or something. That's what I would love to see. <laughs> yeah. So um, in regards to the 3,000 metres last week, 1,500 metres, did you change your training at all for the 3,000 metres or did you just sort of run that off the back of your 1,500 metre training? Um, I actually kind of train a lot more 5K. Um, that kind of builds my strength and that's kind of where I, I guess, do better <laughs> in a way. Um, and then I just fine-tune kind of coming into races. But yeah, the 3K last week was kind of blowing the cobwebs out. I hadn't jumped on the track for a race since about June, and I did a half marathon in between that. So it was very much, I have, I just had no idea where I was at. So it was nice to get that one done and have it happen the way that it did. And yeah, so hopefully enough cobwebs have been blown out to actually do something pretty cool in the 15 this weekend. Well, you've got Rebecca Green. She's just recently won the New Zealand Mile Championship and set a new national record. So she clearly comes in with some form. So are we expecting this race to be sort of tactical or will this just be a fast-paced race from the start? Um, I think you'll probably see it to be fast-paced. We have organised a pace that I go through um, hopefully as long as she can, <laughs> and then we'll potentially try work together and see how fast we can get across the line. But um, weather can come into play there, so if it's not looking that great, then we might change that up a bit. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> also in the field, I understand Camille Buscom, who is now Camille French, and also Angie Petty, so two athletes um, of yesteryear with great reputations and certainly on their day capable. Yes, definitely, and both mums, which is amazing. Mm, yeah, uh, and, and you guys are are, are are you all good friends, or does that rivalry not really allow you to be friends? Yeah, no, we're we're all friends. Um, we've probably been on training camps and different um, championship kind of uh, New Zealand teams and stuff together um, as well. Uh, so that's been really cool. Obviously, we're super competitive. And we all want to win on the day, but at the end of the day, like. 
I guess for us, sometimes running is more than just running. <laughs> and it's really nice to have those friends and potentially training partners at some point. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool. Now, you've got a personal best of four minutes 14. I'd imagine um, you'd like to probably reduce that to around sort of 4.06 in time to sort of get, I, I guess, sort of towards that Olympic level. Do you believe you can get there? Is that the goal? Yeah, that's 100% the goal. Um, that's kind of my focus for the next year and a half to see how fast I can get that. Um, but, yeah, definitely need to chop that down significantly. <laughs> Oh, you certainly certainly got the uh, base there, though, haven't you? Um, what what do you feel you're lacking? Is it just a strength? Is it a speed thing? Um, no, it's probably just more practice and competition. Like prior right. to the past season, um, I considered myself a five k, ten k runner, and I very rarely did fifteen hundred. So, um, I feel like I need a bit more practice at that. But um, yeah, and also just kind of racing at like really high level. So. Mm. My plans are to go overseas later this year and see what I can do there. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And who's coaching you, Laura? Paul Hamlin. Okay. So, Paul finished fourth at the Commonwealth Games in 2006 on that 1500 metre that Nick won. And a very, very good athlete and great coach in his own right. Yes. Yeah. He uh, was very, very good and great coach as, as well. Like, he's coaching probably over 30 women, I think, at the moment. Don't know how he does it, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, it, it works, and we have a really cool group uh, in Auckland too, yeah. so yeah. Is it just a case of building layer on layer year in, year out, or does the program change significantly from year to year with Paul? Um, no, it's definitely all about building. I mean, I think across the board, regardless of what coach you talk to, um, consistency is key, so being able to stack seasons on seasons and progress every time um, is always going to mm. be super useful down the line. Um yeah, definitely. For me, anyway, consistency has been probably the key thing that's helped me run faster. <laughs> when did you take up running? Was it always a childhood dream to become a middle distance athlete? What got you involved in the sport? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, I kind of started a little bit when I was 13. Um, a lot of it came down to I just got asked to be coach because I randomly broke a high school record, which I didn't realize. Um, and then I had a coach um, ask if I wanted to train. And at the time I was like, you don't train for running. You just run. What? <laughs> Obviously I was quite young and didn't know anything, but um, yeah, I went along. I really enjoyed the people that were there and just kept going. And through just that consistency and a little bit of training, um, started to have a wee bit more success and then got hooked, I guess, runners high and all that. Um, so, yeah. Mm, okay. What's this one session Paul gives you where you get a bit of a nervous heart flutter because you know it's going to hurt so much? <laughs> I, know, I know there's um, more than one, but what's the one? Yeah, it's probably – oh, there's probably a couple, but um, one that always – has been a tricky one for me is when I get given five or six by a K and they're yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just literally getting through each one and being able to hit what you're trying to hit and but still do every single one of them. So yeah, and what, yeah, those, what's, those what's, are always fun. <laughs> what sort of recovery would you have between those Ks? Um, anywhere from like 90 seconds to three minutes, okay. depending on how yep. I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what sort of target times is Paul asking for you? Just trying to get some sort of gauge on... How fast yeah, are you looking um, to run I, those? I usually like to finish with 
well, I haven't quite cracked going under three minutes, but um, the last one is usually like a three oh one. Okay, so you're not you're not mucking around. You're not mucking around. That, 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 <laughs> no, that, that, look, I, I've done a little bit back in the day, and uh, I can tell people out there that is significant. Any time you're running anywhere, like even under three minute twenty k paces, is not easy. And I, and I ask people to go out there and see how qu- quickly they can run four hundred meters, then try and put it in context. <laughs> yeah, it's always always nice when you could have that kind of context too. <laughs> in regards to periodization, in regards to peaking, where are you at the moment in your training program and how many times a year are you looking to sort of build and peak? Um, well, I'm just training through this season. So we'll sort of taper off a little bit for nationals and a couple of key events, but then it will be trying to peak a wee bit more around July, August um, when I'm in Europe, hopefully. So, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and um, so you're confident tomorrow that you can keep your un- unbeaten record over the last season into this season over 1,500? Um, yeah, I think I think so. Um, it's not going to be easy and it might not happen, but I'm definitely I'm feeling ready to run fast, which mm. is a nice feeling. <laughs> are, are you somebody that likes to run from the front or do you prefer to sort of sit back a little bit and then kick home? Um. I'm a bit of both. Like it kind of depends on the race and how I'm feeling on the day. Obviously it is really nice to be able to sit and kick, but I never feel like super comfortable just sitting in second. Mm. Um, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's nice to have that obviously, cause you still got a wee bit uh, of the race to go. But um, yeah, I like to push. I, I love to run fast. That's why I do track. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, look um, in sport, generally when an athlete or a team fails, they sack the coach. If you fail tomorrow, does Paul get sacked? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take responsibility. You're going to be one of the few athletes that takes responsibility and just shake your opponent's hand and go, you know what, I was outdone today. Yeah, there, yeah, there is a lot of factors. I think you would sack the coach a lot more prior to just one bad race. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, Laura, look, all the very best. Um, certainly looking forward to following your progress and lovely to have you on the program. Cool, thank you. There you go. Laura Nagel, do check out if you live in the Hamilton region, the Porrit Classic. A lot of New Zealand's leading athletes will be taking part, but that women's 1,500 metres is the Blue Ribbon event. It should be an absolute beauty. Great to have so much depth coming through in middle distance running, both across our men's and girls, and so much depth now in the field events and a lot of athletes starting to do some special things, even over the 100 and the 200. So it should be a a packed event, a fun-filled event, an exciting evening of athletics or afternoon of athletics at the Porrick Classic in Hamilton. It is coming up to 2.30. Let's take some sports news, some news and some weather with the Velvet Voice. John. 27 and a half minutes away from 3 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. I've got to say, Manaya, I was just infuriated listening to those headlights there regarding the Blues and Roger Tuivasa Sheik was supposed to miss this pre-season game because he was an all-black and we've got to rest them. It's like he hardly played any rugby last year. Stop dumbing this damn game down. Over it. All Blacks dictating to the Blues on what they can do and what they can't do. He wants to play. The guy needs to play. They've got to come into Super Rugby having had some game time. I heard Blues and I just tuned out, so I missed a lot of that. <laughs> do, you, do you put any stock into the uh, rumours of uh, RTS going to one of the other NRL clubs? Well, he should be going to an NRL club. Look, mm. there's no position for him on a rugby field, unfortunately. Look, second 5-8 is almost the default setting for leagueies. He's not a fullback because he can't kick. He's lost a yard of speed. I'd still like the Blues to play him out on the wing. If he's got any chance of making the World Cup squad, I still think it's out wide. It's not in that second 5-8. He's not a great tackler. It's a channel they'll run straight down. I think it's been a failed experiment. 
Um, and yeah, I think he's very, very lucky to be an All Black. Anyway, let's change it up. Dan Cherney from Code Sports out of Australia now joins us on the programme because there is a bit of a controversy starting to brew in India. Were the Indian spinners, were the India team ball tampering? Dan, good afternoon. Welcome. G'day. What are good to be with you? Yeah, so what's the general consensus in Australia? I've got to say, if it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, and it sounds like a duck, it is a duck, and I've got to say, I think it's ball tampering. Yeah, um, look, the footage, and I think we're all very, uh, you know, ever since obviously the famous footage from uh, Cape Town five years ago, everyone's uh, antennae are always up to, uh, around this stuff, and um, it's, it's certainly, I think, it's, at the very least, it's hard to say it wasn't eyebrow-raising, the footage of Rabindra Jadeja um, and the way he was sort of seemed to be feeling, manipulating the ball. Um, look, it, it's, hard, it, it's hard to be sure, isn't it? Uh, I, saw, I heard Michael Clark this morning on Australian radio was saying that it, uh, he thought it was it looked more like um, uh, Jadeja sort of... Um, working his fingers, he's had some blistering on his fingers, he's coming back from injury and trying to sort of um, get, a, get a better grip for the ball, that sort of thing. But, um, it, it, yeah, look, it, it didn't look great. But, um, I mean, you know, unless, we were, unless there's an investigation that opens, um, it sort of, sort of starts and ends there, doesn't it? There's not much more to it at, at this point. Um, it looks curious, but, uh, you know, unless we have other information, and it's certainly unlike the Cameron Bancroft one where there was explicit footage of him taking a foreign substance, yellow substance out of his hand. Uh, here, it was, you know, it, it left open to the imagination. Yeah, but I mean, it looks a bit strange. So you've got damaged fingers and you're going to put an ointment on. Well, normally you'd have a doctor come out and do that. Normally you'd actually be applying it properly. This was almost a handshake, wasn't it, between Mohamed Siraj and Ravindra Jadija, which made it look even more suspicious. And even if you, even if it is an ointment, I mean, that's no different than taking sunscreen off your nose and rubbing it on the ball. The reality is you're not allowed to put foreign substances on a ball. You're not allowed to put those on the surface of the ball, and they're clearly doing that. And I guess the concern here is, look, I'll be honest, as a New Zealand, we don't have a lot of sympathy here for Australia. We think it's almost a little bit of, um, well, karma. It's almost catching up with the Australians. But in regards to the greater integrity of the game and ensuring that India don't get special treatment because of uh, the economic power that they have in cricket, it's important that this is addressed. It's important that this is a proper investigation. Sorry, what are you've just dropped out there a bit. I just uh, I seem to have lost you. Yeah, have we got you back? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no. Look, I was just saying we here in New Zealand probably don't have a lot of sympathy for Australia when yeah. it comes to this sort of stuff. But for the greater good and the integrity of cricket, it's important that they look into this. Um, you know, there is a perception that because of cricket's um, financial influence on the game, they probably get to dictate. But if you look at the way this was applied to his fingers. There was no doctor doing it. It was almost a handshake. If he had genuine issues with his fingers, you would have thought that the um, putting ointment on would have been a little bit more formal in the way it was done. Yeah, I, I think it is worth an investigation. I, I think it is... I mean, I think justice needs to be seen to be done, and, and at the very least it needs to be... If, if this is just sort of a look the other way situation and there's no sort of like queries on it, formal queries on it, then I think um, I think 
ultimately, sport it is so important that you, know, you just touched on there yourself that fans can believe in what they're saying and, and that teams are following the rules um, and that there is sort of some consistency here. So, look, I, I, I'm less um, initially damning. I, you know, while I've doesn't look great. I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical, but not, certainly not condemning it straight away. But I think it's certainly worth the authorities looking into, and, and you know, hopefully the match referee, at the very least, asks the question. Um, so, but uh, you know, I, I haven't heard anything yet as to whether that's, that's going to happen or that that has, that has happened. So it's going to be very interesting to see whether um, there is any fallout from it. Well, the first thing you do is you look at his fingers and see if there is, in fact, any damage. Um, but what is the difference, I guess, between taking, say, zinc off your nose because you've got a sunburnt nose and you're putting zinc on and then rubbing the rest of the zinc on the ball? I mean, that's basically what he's doing. So even whether it's an ointment, he should still not be then rubbing it onto the surface of the ball, which he clearly is doing. Well, I, I, mean, I don't think we can know that for sure that he was clearly doing that. I mean, we, we, it's, it's worth looking, but I mean, it appears that he may be doing that, but I, I don't think we can clearly know. I mean, we, we've seen only from... Um, yeah, we've only we've seen it at one camera angle, um, and it, it, I think it's it's, it's a reasonable conclusion to think that he may be doing it, but I don't think it's fact clear. I, I disagree that he's clearly doing it, um, but I think it's definitely. But you're right. If if, if, he, if indeed he is doing it, that is that would be against the rules, um, foreign substance, and um, you know worthy of, of censure or sanction. So I think, as I said, imperative that there is some sort of investigation um, and at the very least as you said, that um, the match referee or umpires asks to see you know, what, what is on his fingers, what is the situation, seek, seek explanation from him because it's, it's going to be an unanswered, uh, it's going to be there's a lot of interest into what, what actually did happen and I think it's a, it's a reasonable um, it's reasonable to suspect that that, that is what occurred Okay, let's just putting that to one side. What did you make of Todd Murphy and Nathan Lyon? What did you make of Murphy particularly? Oh yeah, look, uh, I thought he started really well. Um, I mean, took the only wicket for so far. Um, watched most of the Aussies bowling last night, and I thought um, Murphy was the most threatening. Um, you know, he had excellent control. Um, you know, was hitting the spot consistently, and then the one that got KL Rahul out. Gordon Bold, it really it turned, it turned quite a bit. So, uh, excuse me if uh, excuse me if you hear my, my GPS in the background, just in the car. But um, the uh, yeah, it was he looked great and um, probably Australia's yeah, most threatening bowler to this point. Amazing effort from a guy who's only played his first class match. He's um, uh, in his early early twenties. Um, he's never actually played Victoria as a first choice spinner. He's always been picked as um, as a second spinner for Victoria. State. So um, Nathan Lyon, I must say, didn't look, didn't look nearly his best. He bowled too many loose, too many loose balls. wasn't beating about much. Didn't seem to be turning all that all that much. So um, yeah, I think um, I think Murphy, very early stages of his test, certainly was from an Australian bowling perspective, but has uh, thus far out bowled his uh, much more senior um, teammate. David Warner out for one again, seems to be okay when he's playing at home, but has struggled overseas on recent tours. Do you sort of sense that this series will be make or break in regards to his Ashes selection later in the year for David Warner? 
It's a really good question. And um, I mean, there were these questions heading into the, the season, into the uh, home summer, um, or certainly particularly into the series against South Africa where he started poorly. And, and really, he has made one outstanding test score, his double cinch, and it was one of the great innings. And uh, you know, don't, you know, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, one of the brilliant innings. Um, against South Africa on Boxing Day in the Boxing Day Test, but other than that, it's been you know it, it, he's really been starved for runs, and his away record is poor. Um, and um, you know it, it's funny because India and England have obviously very different conditions, but he, his record in both those countries, both against the spin and against the moving ball in England, and not good. So um, yeah, look, I think his stage, his stage, his stage of his career and his age and with his sort of modest recent record leaving out leaving out that incredible knock against Africa. Um, yeah, I think it selectors are always keeping an eye on it and if he really, really fails against India and can't buy a run, I think they'll have to um, they'll, they'll have you know the question will will be seriously being asked is whether he he both from his perspective and from the team perspective mm-hmm. perspective as to whether he should and wants to go to play uh, against England. Dan Tuney, thank you for taking your time and joining us on the program this afternoon. Greatly appreciated. No worries. Well, take care. Thank you. Dan Tuney there from Code Sports giving his thoughts on this controversy that's developing in this first test between Australia and India. There's always a discussion around the doctrine of the pitch and the Indians sort of appearing to um, ground staff um, trying to exploit the number of left-handers that Australia have in their order by watering certain parts of the pitch and rolling certain parts of it and ignoring other parts of it. And then what looks like some pretty damning footage of a substance being used on the ball by the marquee spinner. But the day ended with Australia all out for 177. In reply, India a 77 for one. Rohit Sharma not out on 56. Ashwin not out on naught. The batsman out was Rahul. Caught and bowled Murphy for 20. Right, it is 16 and a half minutes away from 3 o'clock. Manaya, what are we doing? We've got the thing called the vault, have we? What is the vault? Have I played the vault? I think I've played the vault. Um, I'm not sure if you've played the vault. I've played the vault about three or four times at this point. We've got a bunch of questions that have already been asked. You've got about five minutes until we play it, so if you want to go back and check those podcasts, you can. We've got a piece of audio, a moment from sporting history in the vault. You need, you've got three questions to ask, the caller that is, um, to try and nut out exactly what that is um, and I know what it is so I'll be the uh, the vault master today you can be the vault master you can be I the will. vault master okay 16 minutes away from three Manaya the vault master up next three questions one answer can you crack the vault we are playing for Watto. We are playing for $250 today. There is a uh, sporting moment from New Zealand Sporting History in the vault. Um, and you've got three questions to try and whittle it down. We're going to spin the wheel, and our lucky competitor today is going to be line number two, Lisa from Pukekohe. G'day, mate. How are you going? How's it going? Very well, thanks. Have you been listening to the vault over the last few days? So you know that I'm terrible at pushing the correct buttons, and you also know what the other questions are that have been asked already? I do. Okay, you have three questions to try and whittle down this this sporting moment in the vault. Would you like to have your first question? Um, can I just guess it? Sure, if you want to. Okay. 
Um, is it Hamish Carter winning gold at the 2004 Athens Olympics, finding out to finish with Bevan Doggerty? Hmm. You're throwing away three questions here, um, but I will chuck that into the vault. They won't catch Hamish Carter now, and I don't think they'll catch Bevan Doherty. <laughs> it should be one and two for New Zealand. What a day. What a magic day. <laughs> Down he comes. Hamish Carter about to win the gold medal in the men's triathlon. Oh, Lisa, you've nailed it. You didn't need any questions. What gave it away over the last few days? <laughs> Yeehaw. Woo. What gave it away? How did you know? Oh, uh, had a bit of help from the husband. <laughs> was, there a, was there a thought process that went in? Was there a clue? Was there a question that someone else asked that, that uh, led you to it? Not really, yeah. He's sort of an avid um, sports fan, so, yeah. Just well, that was it. Um, we thought, Watto, because one of the clues that was given out earlier on in the week was somebody asked, is it, a, is it related to cycling? Is cycling involved? And we cycling, said yes. yes. So everybody started asking about all these different cycling events at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, well, look, it was the one triathlon that was genuinely one on the bike. Normally it's a bit of a swim-run thing, but I was very fortunate to train with both Bevan and Hamish in December prior to those Olympics. We went on a training camp myself, Cameron Brown, a guy John Hume and his coach Chris Pallone. And four days we beat the crap out of each other, um, riding from Auckland down through to Pawanui and all of that. And it's interesting because Hamish Carter was the man right up to that point, had built a big profile through Clash of the Codes and had failed at the last his first Olympics, had never won the World Championships. And then four months later in Madeira in Portugal, so early in 2004, Bevan Doherty goes and wins the World Championships. And in that moment, he surpassed Hamish as our best triathlete outside of Rick Wells. But that was the turning point for Hamish. And I remember Hamish getting back to me on the phone and he said, we need another training camp. And the training camp involved a lot of younger athletes, same format, but it was a different Hamish Carter. And it needed Bevan Doherty to win that World Championships just to put the icing on the cake for Hamish to win that Olympic Games gold. And I always tell that story. There's a lot more to it too, but that was always my observation. And it was a real privilege to be sort of a part of that era back then. Well, it's a privilege to be a part of getting $250 down to Pukekohe. Lisa, congratulations, mate. Hold the line and we'll get your details off you. Okay, coming up to three o'clock, uh, Gerard Waitley, Australian icon of broadcasting with ECN. He is in the United States. He is going to bring us live coverage of the Super Bowl on Monday. We're going to catch up with him. Phoenix, Arizona is the venue. Curious to know how much of a transition it will be for him to commentate Super Bowl when it's not a sport that you do on a regular basis. It's very stop-start. And particularly when you're used to doing, I guess, gladiatorial sports that are a little faster moving, like AFL and clearly like Rugby League and Rugby Union. So we'll have that chat with Gerard Waitley after three o'clock, find out a little bit about his history with the NFL and why he's so passionate about it. Now, you can text us here on the programme. The Temper Bedpost text machine is double eight double three. 
Telephone number after three is 0800 150 811 if you do want to get through to the program. Now, Sen's Super Rugby Tipping for 2023 is now open. You could win the ultimate New Zealand sports experience for you and a mate with $2,500. Sign up and play now at tipping.senzradio.nz. So .senzradio.nz. You've got to be in to win. Don't go away. We will bring you new sport and weather next. And then we head to the United States and talk Super Bowl. Three and a half minutes after three, you're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to four o'clock this afternoon. Then it would be Mark Stafford and the team alongside of Stephen Donald bringing you right through to seven o'clock. Then we've got ball-by-ball coverage of the first test between uh, between India and Australia. Plenty of controversy already. I've got Manaya alongside of me today. Manaya, just looking at this NBA, um, I didn't read that I didn't expect Kevin Durant to be traded to the Suns no. quite as quickly as he was, particularly off the back of Kyrie Irving leaving. I would have thought that might have been incentive for Durant to stay because that would make him top dog. Well, this is the thing that Kevin Durant's always been looking for, isn't it? When he was with Oklahoma City, couldn't get over the hump, he went to Golden State, pretty much assured himself a championship, thought that that would get the monkey off his back, and when he did it, everyone said, oh, well, that's Steph's championship. So he said, right, well, I've got to leave and go and set up my own team. First thing he does when he sets his own team up, brings two All-Stars in. So even if they had won a championship there, people still would have said, oh, yeah, but you had a super... It's manufactured. So then they all leave. Well, here's the perfect opportunity, you would think, to finally actually have a run at it, get that monkey off your back, and win a championship that no one can point to anyone else other than you Mm -hmm. and say they won that championship. He's now gone to a team that made the finals two years ago uh, with an all-star in Devin Booker. Um, I wouldn't call him washed, but towards the end of his uh, career, um, Chris Paul, who will be a Hall of Famer at some point in his career. And uh, it's just, he's just done it again. He's just joined another team mm. stacked full of players. It's not going to bring him the peace that he wants when he wins this title, if he does. Yeah, it's, um, I, I, yeah, along with Kyrie Irving, they're just players who... Yeah, I think it's just bad eggs, and I just don't think it's good for the culture of any team, and I think they've got a, a track record in that. They're flawed geniuses, aren't they? Yeah. And we were saying earlier that I sometimes with agents and people around them need to make them aware that, look, your belief system in your 20s is going to be different to your belief system in your 30s, but your belief system in your 50s is going to be significantly different from when you were young. And be careful that you don't get to 50 and regret the decisions that you made uh, because you're not going to get those years back. And, you know, greatness is measured not by how much money you've got on the bank account, but what you actually achieve. And this is a league, man, where there are so many good, good players. Do you want to have that little asterisk next to your name, brilliant but flawed, or do you just want to have that, you know, I was exceptional. I was extraordinary in the realm of the extraordinary. Mm, and and I think, like you say, Kevin Durant's just kind of taken that off the board a little bit for himself. Mm, mm. Um, I, I guess part of it is too that you sign these guys to hundred million dollar contracts. Um, I mean, if you gave me a hundred million dollars right now, I'd be insufferable. 
If you gave me 100 bucks, it would be hard to deal with. Well, we wouldn't be having a conversation because you wouldn't be here, my good man. And I wouldn't be here either, mate. I'd be gone. Absolutely not. Hey, um, so what does this then mean? I mean, you guys are across your basketball. What does this then mean for the Dallas Mavericks? Now they've got Kyrie Irving. Does this mean that the it's a game changer, that they now potentially can go on and win this NBA that's the missing piece of the puzzle? And can we apply that same logic here to the Phoenix Suns now that Kevin Durant's gone across? Or... Like Manchester United, bringing Ronaldo back, it ended up actually being detrimental. Well, for for the Dallas Mavericks um, all year, and in fact since probably halfway through Luca's uh, rookie season, the narrative has been get this guy some help. He is a once in a generation style uh, player. He uh, you know needs a, a second fiddle. Kyrie Irving is going <laughs> to blow this team up, but the the luxury they have is, if you can call it that, his contract expires at the end of this year. So this could well be just three months of Kyrie Irving and then they say goodbye to him at the end and don't renew his contract. Mm. Um, or, and this would shock everybody, it might go really well and they go, sweet Kyrie, we'll, we'll bring you back. I can't see that mm. happening. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I just wonder whether Sean Marks being a New Zealander, not American, it, may, it means that he can see through the bullshit. He got these guys with the best intentions. It hasn't worked out. And he hasn't tolerated fools, has he? No, and I think that was... And, and he hasn't allowed them to dominate the game. He hasn't allowed them to throw the toys out of the cot. That I, I heard someone say that they saw a short clip of him saying, we now have guys who want to be here. So I think you're right about that, whereas there's a star culture over in America where people do feed into that, whereas here in New Zealand, if you carry on like that, people don't like people well, don't like that kind of behaviour. Well, well, too, it's I, I, that's what sort of annoys me a little bit about LeBron James, when you come out and say, no, I think I'm the greatest of all time. Yeah. Now, you let other people say that. You don't say that. You're allowed to think it. And in fact, and I think because, you should think Because it. you've got the points record and you've won four NBA championships, well, I'm the greatest in the world. Well, hang on. Prior to that, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar held the record for, what was it, 39 years and had six championships. But still, no one considered him to be the greatest. They still said Michael Jordan. And so I'm not sure how you can apply the logic that's now been applied to LeBron James, but you couldn't, but everybody never considered Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to be the, the greatest. I mean, in the discussion, but everybody said, hey, look, Michael was still a man. I mean, 100%. I don't think um, the, I don't think anyone's opinion of LeBron James changed from the start of this week to where we are now, you know what I mean? Like, aside from potentially LeBron James. Mm. I mean, I do like the fact he's a Liverpool football club, man. <laughs> I think they've actually just released a range of shoes. LeBron I did see Liverpool that. LeBron Liverpool shoes, yeah. yeah. The rich get richer. Love it. Uh, I saw um, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, was sitting courtside for that record-breaking moment. The only man in the photo of LeBron hitting that game winner without his phone out. Yeah. If When LeBron James goes into the Hall of Fame... What colours is he wearing? I think it's got to be the wine and gold of uh, Cleveland. Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. I was actually uh, lucky enough back in my day uh, when I was studying in Toronto, Canada in 98, 99 to see Sean Marks actually play his first official seconds in the NBA. It was actually against the Cleveland Cavaliers. He got 38 seconds. Never forget that. Yeah. Still got the ticket stub from it. I will say on Sean Marks, he looks a whole lot happier today than he has done in the last few weeks. There was videos of him just before this game that's on at the moment, 
Um, and he says he had a smile on his face for the first time. He was courtside at a Breakers game. Was it about a month ago? Oh, a couple of weeks ago. I was there actually. Ago. I had my son there for his birthday. First Breakers game I've been to. I've got to say, boy, they do a good job. Yeah, they do. Um, did Sean Marks look happy, do you reckon? Yeah, he did. Oh, okay. He did. He did. Just happy to be out of there, I guess. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting. Um, like I say, you, I only want guys who want to play for me and are prepared to play for me. I do love the Brooklyn Nets, that industrial-looking concrete court they have. I think it fits their brand. I think it fits the perception that people have around Brooklyn. It's got a sort of a slight street feel about it. It's sort of industrial. Um, it fits in with their whole font. It fits in with their whole brand story. have done a really nice job in terms of just encapsulating all of that. Right, we will take a break. We'll take a break, and then when we come back, we'll get to Gerard Waitley. In America, in the United States, we will talk Super Bowl. Sixteen and a half minutes. So after three o'clock, we will be bringing you live coverage of Super Bowl on Monday. Gerard Waitley with the call, and we're going to catch up with Gerard now as we head to the United States to preview Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Gerard, good afternoon. Welcome. Mark, great to be with you. Mate, you are living the dream. How does a boy growing up in Australia end up finding themselves <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona, about to call Super Bowl? Yeah, it's. I feel the same excitement every year. So this is my sixth Super Bowl. It's my fifth on the ground. Uh, started in Minnesota, then went Atlanta, Miami, last year Los Angeles, and this year Phoenix. So, yeah, it's it's such a thrill. And I it's, it's for its spectacle it's just bigger than anything else there's no judgment in that just the, the scope and the magnitude of the event it feels a bit like coming to an olympic games each time but it all funnels into into one day and one game so yeah it is it is the dream to be here uh, and there's yeah it feels like there's uh, such possibilities in this Super Bowl. And what is the vibe around Phoenix? Is everything pointing towards the Super Bowl? Is there signage? Are there flags out? You talked about having that Olympic Games feel. Yeah, it's Phoenix. Also, the, the Waste Management Phoenix Open is the iconic golf tournament that's here. It started on Thursday and it will culminate on Sunday as well. So, I think uh, somebody told me yesterday there'll be about 220,000 people at the golf on on Saturday and then uh, that the huge event that's the Super Bowl on Sunday. So it, it is, the city is absolutely in the grip of sport. We were out to the, the golf today where uh, the Pro-Am had been held and, and it had really been a huge party day out there. And then you just start to see each day just um, the the crowds grow exponentially and you start to see the jerseys of not just the Eagles and the Chiefs who are the two teams playing, but it feels like everyone who comes here wears their home team jersey with great pride and then there's a whole set of events and concerts that are staged in the build-up to it. So, yeah, it, the, the third player in a Super Bowl is the host city and they do it with such pride. You would have called a lot of different sports over the years, Gerard. Clearly, you do NFL, but you don't do it on a regular basis. What are some of the challenges calling this um, and the degree of experts that you have sitting alongside of you? It's a very stop-start game. It is. So in a way, actually mirror cricket more than they do either rugby or, or Aussie rules. Each play starts from a stationary position with the ball in one pair of hands, which so that's what happens when the bowler runs in. It's got it's such a lovely rhythm to it. It's a march up and down the field. 
I've followed the game since I was a kid, and I get the privilege of calling it each year. I follow it pretty intensely during the year and, and certainly during the playoffs. But I'm in sale. We're all in such great hands. The first Australian to play in a Super Bowl was Ben Graham. He's by my side in the, in the booth on Sunday. And Larry Fitzgerald Sr., is um, he's one of the most esteemed NFL writers that there is in the U.S. His son... Uh, if you follow the NFL at all, Larry Fitzgerald Jr. is a future Hall of Famer who he sort of runs Arizona. He was the, the star for the Cardinals over more than a decade, and he's part of the organising committee of the Super Bowl. So we're in great hands. They, they each have a great way of conveying what they're seeing, and not just from the, the intrinsic point of view, but the capacity to draw everybody in. If you're just a once-a-year follower of the Super Bowl... Uh, ben and Larry are so good at explaining what's happening to the novice as uh, as we work our way through the, the big game. Is every single Australian, yourself included, going for the Philadelphia Eagles for the fact that Jordan Mylata is playing, the Australian? Yeah, yeah, that, that is such a big thread is we got here on Monday and they have an event called Opening Night. It's at the basketball stadium where the Suns play. There were six or 7,000 people there. They present each team on stage and then the, the highest profile players from each team go to their own booth and they field questions from the international media for an hour and Jordan had his own booth at that and was, was telling his story. He's, he's not only a fascination, but he is a star. So he's one of the most important players on the Eagles team and central to, to how they'll perform on Sunday. So, yeah, it's, it's, and he was back page of the the major newspaper in Sydney the morning after the Prime Minister uh, made a phone call to him to wish him luck on behalf of all Australian sports fans. So it's interesting as Patrick Mahomes is such an international figure in sport as you don't have to go far in Australia to find somebody wearing a Mahomes jersey. But for this Super Bowl, there is a, there's a huge hope and affection for the Eagles. And if they are successful, Jordan will be the first Australian to play in a winning Super Bowl, and that'll be a real moment in our sporting culture. Let's talk about the quarterbacks. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes, but also Jalen Hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles. First time in NFL history, first time in Super Bowl history that we've got two black quarterbacks, which again is a big story in itself and continues to show that the sport is evolving because maybe historically um, that hasn't always been the case, that uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, um, not every sort of racial line has been broken down, but clearly a lot of work being done in that area. Yeah, and it's a, the source of significant pride that uh, each of them feels it, each of them has spoken about it, uh, and it is. It, it feels like one of those landmark moments from the sport. And it, it is, if you know anything about American culture, you'll know how challenging that is through the years. And there's, um, there's sort of... Um, there's been a, a barrier, I think, to, to black coaches getting uh, the, the, the head coaching position. And there's uh, a lot of push on affirmative action at that front. So, yeah, you can't miss how significant it is that Mahomes and Hurts are the, the two quarterbacks. There's, I think there's a natural affiliation between the two. They're very complementary of each other in understanding of their story. So, yeah, that does feel like a big part of what's happening here in the state. Yeah, a lot of uh, talk around the quarterbacks, clearly, but both teams defensively outstanding. Will this Super Bowl be won on defence? I mean, that's generally the case, isn't it? You want to be the, win the big dance defensively, you've got to be very good, whether it be rugby, whether it be rugby league or NFL. 
Yeah, that's the, the cliche is that defence wins championships. Um, the one rider to that, I think, in the NFL is the, the Superman quarterback. Um, I, I feel like they win Super Bowls, and that goes back to Joe Montana. It takes in Tom Brady. So you can't do it on your own, but you can be the absolute central figure for it. And that's why so often the quarterback is the MVP. Um, so I think the broad view is that the Eagles are the better overall team, but the best player on the field is Mahomes. Mm. So can he drive them to victory? It's a cultural study. It's what philosophically do you believe in in sport? And it'll play out before us on, uh, on Sunday. Yeah, talking about Mahomes, he's won one, he's lost one. If he was to lose this, would that damage his legacy or is he still young enough to go on and win a lot more Super Bowls? Definitely still young enough, but I guess these are these opportunities. He's played in three of the last four. We would expect him to play in more, but you can't take any of that for granted in sport. Um, it's a big legacy piece, I think, if he wins. If he goes to two... And I think the overall view will be he won't finish it too. But if you if you miss along the way in these moments and, and have two losses and a win, it, 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 it can slip through your fingers. I think he's had he's had his career best year, which I think was against most expectations coming in. He's going to be named the MVP tonight. Now the MVP hasn't won a, a Super Bowl for more than two decades, I think. So it's been a little bit of a jinx. Um, so I'm not sure whether it, it, it. I'll say it like this: it will delay his legacy if he doesn't win this Super Bowl. And if he does, he will he will vault forward. Um, I think there's a view that he is the most talented quarterback that the game has ever seen. Uh, Brady's the best, but his arm talent is freakish. Yeah, I, I... and. I think we all hope to see that on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So you talk about, and you're not the first person that said that, perhaps the most talented quarterback the game has seen. What defines that talent? Is it just the throwing arm? Is it his ability to move outside of the pocket? What defines the greatest talent to have played the game? I think it's definitely his throwing arm. Um, He makes almost circus plays. He sees the game uh, like a savant. And I, he plays like the Matrix. Right? The game's almost in slow motion ahead of him. He can see stuff. He tries things that other quarterbacks wouldn't dare think about. And, yeah, so precision and power in his arm, inventiveness and a real daring do in the way that he plays. He's thrilling to watch. He's thrilling to watch in a regular season game. And then it ramps up in playoffs. He's played this year with a, a high ankle sprain, so he's been courageous to a fault. And that's one him plaudits, and it'll play a big part. If he, you've got to play hurt, as the saying in, in sport, and if he's able to do that in a Super Bowl and win through his audaciousness, uh, it'll be a huge moment for him. When the Kansas City were last in the Super Bowl, they got beaten up by Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers pretty badly. Yeah. Can, can, very Philadelphia, badly. Yeah, can Philadelphia go back and look at the tape? Is this a, a, a similar team? Is there similar weaknesses? Or is this a Kansas City side that has has evolved? They had it. They were really vulnerable on the offensive line with injury going in. And the Bucks were brutal with them. And it's not that Mahomes played badly. It's just that he was under pressure the whole time. There was this incredible stat around how often he was forced to go backwards and how many yards he was giving up before he was able to get the throw away. 
So uh, he will hope not to have a torrid occasion like that again. Um, yeah, so that, this is where, you know, the whole team aspect comes into it rather than just the one Superman player. Okay, and what's the general feeling in in Arizona, um, in Phoenix, and then broadly across America? Who are people picking to win this? Is there a sentimental favourite or is there a clear-cut favourite? No, it's 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 so close to flip of the coin. So the Eagles are narrow favourites, and there is a, it, there's a very clear delineation in all of the analysis. The Eagles are the best roster. The Chiefs have the best player on the field. So how does that look? How does it play out? Yeah, so Eagles are narrow favourites. Those who truly believe in the homes are, are comfortable picking the Chiefs. Um, I would say we're probably talking a 52-48 split in all that mm. I've seen. And, Mark, there's so much analysis of this one game, given that it's a, a two-week build-up and, and the way everybody descends on the on the host city. Is you, you, you can drown in... You can drown in opinions and statistics and reasons why, and it does make it such an enticing clash, I think, once we get there. Okay, just before we let you go, you said you've been an NFL fan your entire life. Who's your team? <laughs> but this is one of the great luxuries I find of following an international sport is you can change your affiliation. So I follow players more than I have done teams. So when I was growing up, uh, the New York Giants, it was the era of Phil Sims and Bill Parcell, so I followed them. And then Joe Montana captured the imagination with the 49ers, so I followed his career like a whole bunch. Tom Brady uh, captivated me for the duration of most of his career. And then I have been an, a huge admirer of Patrick Mahomes. So if I'm sitting on the couch and I've got a choice, I'll watch Mahomes. So I probably just casually right now I'm a... I'm a Chiefs fan, but I, I'm, I will reiterate that I'm all in on the Eagles and the idea of Australia being uh, a most significant player in the game and, and having our, our first Super Bowl winner. So for this game, I'm right with the Eagles. Jared, uh, I'm, I'm going to tongue-in-cheek suggest that what are you, you're a bit of a populist. You tend to just go with the marquee players from team to team. From yeah, to yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm a bit like that with the NBA <laughs> as well. Uh, so I feel like that's the. I don't know whether other people have this experience, but so I'm I'm wedded to my teams in Australia through birth, yes, and and would never deviate under any circumstances. But my guilty pleasure is being able to switch allegiances in my US sports, and and probably that's true in in Premier League football and that sort of thing as well. So I, I feel like there's a little freedom to to swing on that front. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm fickle, maybe I'm alone in that, but I suspect there's a fair few who might be able to go. Oh, yeah, I'll back for a player rather than a team. Yeah, no, look, I was lucky enough to go to Rich Stadium back in the late 1990s and watch um, the Buffalo Bills, and there was a quarterback switch there, a great story around a young man by the name of Doug Flutie, and a remarkable story, Doug Flutie. And then I ended up following Doug Flutie, and I think he ended up then going to the San Diego Chargers. So like you, I probably tend to follow where Doug Flutie went, and I've probably jumped from team to team a little bit. But look, all the very best. (laughs) All the very best with the call. All the very best to Jordan Mylata. Thank you for taking the time. Enjoy the next few days. Very, very envious. And we look forward to your call here on SENZ. I look forward to sharing it with all of you. It is, it's one of the glorious days in world sport across the year. So hopefully we're able to put you right in the middle of it. You feel like you're there with us. Is that my cue? Is that my cue? I think that's my cue. See, if I was in the middle of the Lords at the moment, I would have just 
play the new ball, swing and miss outside off stump. I might be back in the pavilion. Anyway, loveracing.nz, your home of thoroughbred racing. The Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you. Shane Cuthbert in studio. Shane, good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you, Wado. Thank you for having me. Tarapa. Talk to me about Tarapa. Tarapa. It's all about Tarapa tomorrow. Um, we've got Legends Day, so... Um, group one racing, two group ones on the card, and we've got a host of living legends that will be on course. So past New Zealand bred horses or horses that raced in New Zealand as, as legends, um, of the yesteryear returning, leading the fields around. So it's a great concept to, to sort of bring them back and, and show them post racing life and thriving in their sort of, uh, Post yeah, post racing. Yeah, I was always curious about that with racehorses, particularly. Clearly, they're used for breeding reasons as well. But yep. um, do they do they mellow? Are they friendly? Yeah, from all, yeah, are they, friendly. Are they good pets? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, my daughter did a little bit of pony riding, and mm. I mean, horses can be a little temperamental. They can be, and and that's sort of their nature, some of them. But yeah, gen- generally, I think they make great sort of post racing life pets, and um, some of them go into sort of show jumping, some go into polo. Like there's a lot of sort of post-racing, um, you know, foray that they can go into. So. It's not a bad life, is it, as a racehorse? You've, yep. When you're finished, particularly if you're a stallion, you just get to basically go and breed. Yeah, I mean... With no accountability. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> you might, yeah. <laughs> I want to come back as a racehorse. Yeah. Mind I mean, you've got to get flogged for about three years, don't you? No, they, they are absolutely looked after, um, you know, sort of more... 365 days a year it's yeah. their sort of um you know they're, they're tended to they're they're loved their their work they're exercised and then you know they've got someone looking after them all, all days of the year so it's um it's definitely i, I would come back as a racehorse for sure yeah, so, so, so to wrap up what times it all kick off uh 12 25 race one so yep. um action starts from then uh and we've got two group ones so two rate two races at the elite level um so the herbie dyke stakes is for the weight for age horses at 2000 meters um so we've got quite an interesting field we've got a couple of three-year-olds that are sort of on their way through that um they're the favored runners so sharp and smart and wild knight they're they both look really promising, and they're taking on older horses. Um, so Defibrillate, uh, which is owned in owned by Brendan McCullum, along with Graham Richardson and Lance O'Sullivan. So there's some some keen interest in that horse, um, and then yeah, a host of others. The, there's the Derby winner from last year in Asterix. Um, so yeah, it's a really really interesting race. How do you progress as a horse to becoming? Um, you know, a Grade One, uh, a Group One, a horse? Group One horse, I should say. Um, yep. Well, I suppose it's very much dependent on your trainer and how trainer and ownership group and how they place you. Um, I suppose in terms of, um, yeah, I guess you the trainers will have a great uh, sort of read on their level based on other horses that they've trained, and so they'll place you, them accordingly. Um, so, so they can place them. You don't necessarily have to win a number of races and continue to sort of almost get promotion. Yeah. So the the way it sort of works is a rating system. Um, so there's maiden races where you race against horses that haven't won a race before and then that sort of you, you progress from your maiden through to the ratings system where you get rated based on your performances so your rating will be elevated yeah. or decreased based on winning runs yeah. placings and then you sort of work your way through the rating system and, and there's group ones across all distances yes correct so, so what are yep. the standard distances what's the standard uh, what's the shortest standard distance so shortest and outside dis- of the melbourne cup what yep. is historically the more long distance standard distance if yep. that makes so sense. your shortest you generally see is about a thousand meters yeah there are there are shorter there's 900 sort of yep. 
and then some tracks in Australia run 800 yep. meter races and go from the word go uh, and then up to sort of 4,000 meters and beyond and then obviously jumps racing there's um, you know sort of 5,000 plus real stamina yeah. tests but generally you've got your 1,200 meters sprints your mile races which is 1,600 2,000 metres, and then 2,432. They're sort of stepping up in... Melbourne Cup's 32, isn't it? Correct. Melbourne Cup is 32. So you kind of... They're they're your standard distances, and then you get a few funky ones at, you know, 1,400. Yeah. um, Yeah, yeah, which is the distance of our other Group 1 on on the card tomorrow. And in terms of the prize pool, is Mm -hmm. there a... When you're a Group 1, is there a minimum amount of money that's up for grabs? You you look at the ATP tennis, they have certain levels. Yeah. And a level Mm 4, X amount of prize money. Yeah. Clearly, then you have the Grand Slams where... Mm -hmm. You know, it's exorbitant. Yep. So I think it's I th- don't quote me. I'm pretty sure it's two hundred thousand plus for for Group Ones here. Um, so, so where does that prize money come from? That's derived from turnover, betting turnover. So it's, so it's so basically funded by the fun, TAB. Funded by the TAB in conjunction with obviously uh, NZTR and Love Racing, and then the the betting turnover contributes to our our sustainability of of prize money. So the, the more wagered on the sport and the more interest in the sport the better our prize money sort of can be. Um, and we've seen, yeah, in Australia, it's sort of uh, trending that way where um, the prize money keeps increasing. Yeah, it's huge in Australia, isn't it? It's amazing mm-hmm. how the sustainability of it in Australia. Yeah, I suppose it's... Well, I think pro- New Zealand's yeah. always been the problem here that we just haven't had quite scale. And I think with the advent of being able to bet across all sport, mm. that just means that perhaps, you know, it's not just the focus, we, you know. Growing up for me, the focus, the only way you could bet was through racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And the growth of oh, the growth growth of sports betting has obviously, you know, seen that in this country. But um, yeah, let's hope that we can have a resurgence and and see sort of a, an increase in in prize money down the track for um, for our racing and get those minimum levels up up and uh, sort of thriving again. But um, yeah, back to back to tomorrow. We've got um, another huge um, group one in the BCD sprint which has um, attracted sort of some of the best horses in the country, really. Um, Imperatries, La Creek, Levante, these are sort of the top top three sprinting mares in the country. Well, La Creek can, can run over further, but she'll mix it with these tomorrow, I think. Um, and then there's a three-year-old filly by the name of Maven Bell. Um, Babylon Berlin has been sort of really competitive over the sprint trips as well. So this is, yeah, the, tomorrow's race meeting is as, almost as good as it gets in New Zealand. So there's some of the best on show. Um, and if you're sort of on the fence about getting out there, I'd say definitely do so because you'll see some fireworks, especially in those Group 1 races. Yeah, if you want a great day out, go to Tarapa. Of course, if you can't, do tune in to TAB. Of course, lots of uh, updates, lots of live coverage here on SENZ as well. Uh, Shane Cuthbert, thank you. Pleasure. No worries. Okay, so just a reminder too that loveracing.nz, your home of thoroughbred racing, And another reminder, the Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you. Happened back in the day. Always love a little bit of nostalgia on this day in 2003, the Zimbabwe protest. Zimbabwe test batsman Andy Flower, fast bowler Henry Alonga, wore black armbands at the start of the World Cup. It was a brave protest against President Robert Mugabe's tyrannical regime. Both men were forced into exile and international retirement after the tournament. Flower played Sheffield Shield Cricket in Australia and Alonga played County Cricket in England. In 2006, the great opera singer Pavarotti, it was his last ever performance. The Winter Olympic Games opened in Turin, Italy on the stay in 2006 with Luciano Pavarotti singing Nessim Dorma. It would be the last ever performance.
Remarkable voice, the great Pavarotti, part of the three tenors. Now let's look at some birthdays. 1955, he turned 67 today. Greg Norman won the Open Championship, but boy, got the yips at the Masters, didn't he? 1964, John Campbell, Kiwi broadcaster, turning 58 today. 1972, Australian fast bowler, Michael Kasperwitz. Jones, Bowden, Kasperwitz, the band to go, and Harmison has done a despair on the faces of the batsmen and joy for every England player on the field. That's a bit harsh. You have his 50th birthday and you play a piece of Michael Kasperitz going out. I thought you were going to play like a hat-trick ball or celebrate Michael Kasperitz. Anyway, in 1975 on this day, turns 47 today, former Warrior Kiwi forward Logan Swan. Ricky Flutie, who was born in 1980 on this day, turning 42 today. He went on and played rugby for England, also made the British and Irish Lions, played centre, played fly half. Got back into a bit of coaching with Wellington. 1982, sprinter, dirty as they come. Turning 40 today, Justin Gatland. And then on this day, the number one movie was Men in Black. And this is going to hurt, but the number one song was Wannabe from the Spice Girls. Who was your favourite Spice Girl, Water? I've got to be honest, I never really... Um, Learn to differentiate them. No, I never really got into it, to be honest. I don't know what I was doing. I think I was just too busy training and riding my bike, and I was more of a rock guy, a Guns N' Roses guy. Right. You didn't listen to these guys while you were running? Oh, look, it's catchy. You can't pretend. You know, I'm not one of those guys who's going to say that I don't enjoy, you know, when I've had a few beers and ABBA comes on, I oh. get it, you know, and when you've had a few beers and the Bee Gees come on, you get it. When this comes on, you get it. You yeah. know what I mean? At a um, wedding, but you know, and this comes on. What was the one that wore the British... Uniform that might have been ginger, ginger spice, ginger, Jerry Halliwell. Yeah, and I was always a bit partial, a little bit of ginger, <laughs> to be fair. Um, if I can put it that way, um, all right. Whose was yours? Um, sporty, yeah. The one that um, Beckham married, she just never looks happy. No, she no. just looks bloody miserable the whole time. Yeah, she'd be hard work, I reckon. Oh, she'd be hard, hard work, you know. <laughs> you get silent treatment all day. What did I do? You should know, but I don't know. Please tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? You should know. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to be quiet for the rest of the day. Every guy knows that, don't they? The silent <laughs> treatment. The silent treatment. Hey, um, uh, Manai, we've had a few texts come in just off the back of our NBA discussion that we had just after three. Yeah, and some, someone saying a true GOAT would never have lost a milestone game like that. They would put the team first. That what makes a GOAT. You're the best, but you make your team the best. That's from Ryan. I don't disagree with that. No, but I also don't dis- – I, I take I take your point, Ryan. I also don't disagree uh, that LeBron doesn't make his teammates better. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of things that you can point to. to sh- you know, he's the all-time leader in three-point assists. He's created more three-point looks than any other player in, in the history of the game, and part of that's mm-hmm. that there's more three-pointers. But he definitely makes his teammates better. But I take your point. With them stopping the game while it was still going for that, that was well, a bit naff, wasn't it? just looked a bit manufactured too, didn't it? It looked a little bit like Kobe's last game for the Lakers, you know? It just looked a little bit too sort of um, golden oldies, a bit too yes. festival-like, a little bit, hey, let, let's have an all-star game and, and let's just have no defence at all. And where, and where does it end? You know, they, Obviously, they do that for the all-time scoring leader. 
what happens if they do it on a Wednesday night for left-handed player who scored the most points with his right hand on a Thursday night or something? You know what I mean? It's getting complex, but I am with you. <laughs> because they love stats like that they in do. the NBA. I yeah. know they do. That's the thing that annoys me about cricket. There are so many world records. It's like, yeah. are they really world records? I mean, can I take a world record because... Between my gate and my door, I took X amount of steps and no man in history has done that. I mean, what class? But that's the thing with cricket, isn't it? It's the thing that annoys me about cricket. You can get hammered, but there's enough in there to still celebrate. Mm. Guy scores 100 and they lose. You can talk about the century. Guy takes a record number of catches. You can talk about the record number of catches, even though the team's lost. Yes. Well, I do think it was embarrassing, particularly the way that they stopped Mm. the game when he was five points down. Okay. um, I, I quite like this one, lads. Regarding LeBron goat convo, it's crazy. Jordan is the NBA goat. Not only that Jordan would probably be in the discussion for the greatest team spot player of all time. What would that would that be correct? He talks about that ninety six team, doesn't he? LeBron. No, um oh, Michael. Yeah, Michael, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll go one further. Michael Jordan was as good at his job as anyone has ever been at their job. Mm. No one has been as good at their job, whatever it is, as Michael Jordan was no, at his and job. And both defensively at both ends of the courts as well. The 100%. complete player. He would go down, he just want, he was a competitor, and he never stopped competing, he never stopped fighting. Uh, someone's saying too, you want to check this out, Henry Alonga, we talked about the protest that he took on this day prior to the World Cup and the great Zimbabwean, and he performed on The Voice Australia, incredible singer. I read something about it, haven't seen it, but if you just want to go to YouTube, Henry Alonga, The Voice Australia, you can watch that particular clip. It is coming up to eight minutes away from four, you're listening to SENZ. Two and a half minutes away from four. Don't forget live ball-by-ball coverage immediately following the drive programme of the second day of the first test between Australia and India. Plenty of controversy in and around possible ball tampering from the Indians. Uh, Boy, it's uh, ironic, isn't it? It's the Australians that are now complaining. Right, we are coming up to two minutes away from four. I've got to say it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure having your company this afternoon. A lot going on over the weekend. Weather forecast doesn't look great for Monday, so try and enjoy the weekend, particularly here in the North Island or the northern part of the North Island. I forget that, of course, the South Island's had great weather over summer. Um, Coast to coast underway at the moment. New Zealand Road Cycling Championships. There is the Pots Classic on. Pre-season Super Rugby games, pre-season Rugby League games, so it is all go, starting to gear up for what should be a remarkable autumn and a remarkable winter and spring of sport. Got to say, special thanks to Benaya and Finn James for putting the show together. Sorry, he's just gas bagging back here, old Finn. Uh, thank, thanks, uh, Water. We appreciate that, mate. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's been a fun four hours. It has. And it's I, eclectic I, mix. A little, a little bit of advice for anyone in the north of the uh, uh, North Island. Um, the Super Bowl's on Monday, so if your house is fine, and I, I hope that everyone's are, maybe just tell your boss it isn't, and uh, park up and check out the Super Bowl. Be rude not to. Be very rude not good to. I've just seen out the rain and the storm. Yeah, absolutely. Bit of American sport. Yeah. I think I can hear my roof leaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a good man. Uh, Mark Stafford, alongside of him, will be Stephen Donald. They'll be bringing you the drive program. Plenty of sport to look forward to between now and 7 o'clock.
As I said, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. If you're driving around the country, do take care.